please welcome back Dr. Kursik. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for hanging in here till the last minute. Um, you know, coding is sort of a boring subject, but it's really a necessary evil. Unfortunately, we have to master it if we want to survive in this climate. Uh, we really have to master coding. Now, um, we have three hours. It's a lot of time. This is a small group. What I want to do is, uh, as I go along, I'll take the questions rather than waiting till the end so that because there are so many different subjects that we jump from one to another and while you have the questions fresh in your mind, I can answer them, we can discuss them. So feel free to interrupt and ask me any questions you want. I think this session is intended more to be a Q&A uh, than a lecture type of a deal and we have three hours, we have enough time, so it's not, time is not a problem. Now, everybody gets uh, sort of um, nervous and concerned when we discuss coding, but let me just ask this. Uh, when you get in into this hotel uh, this week, how many times did it take you to figure out the how the elevators work here? If you did that, then uh, I think you can master coding. It took me about four times until I got up to my floor because I didn't know how to use the elevators here. And I think that was like the most complicated elevator business. The only other hotel that has it like this, it's the Marriott Marquis in Times Square in New York City. I realized that after a while. But the bottom line is if you can really figure out the elevators here, you can figure out coding. So, the only conflict of interest uh, I have for this lecture is really I do want to get paid for the work that I am doing and unfortunately lately it has been very difficult. It's the only business in the United States that they tell you how much you can charge, they tell you how much you're going to get paid and unfortunately it's not getting any better, it's getting worse. That means that we really have to understand uh, the coding, we have to master it. If you, and it's really directly related to your uh, uh, take home check, right? If you undercode, you're losing money. If you're overcoding, not only you are, uh, I, I basically you're committing a fraud. Nowadays, Medicare, the way they look at it, that really it's not, it's a fraud. Or if it's not a fraud, if you're not doing intentionally, then it's an abuse. And I know providers ended up in jail. So it's really, uh, I don't mean to, be sca uh, to scare people, but it's really something that we have to pay attention. And unfortunately, most of us are so busy taking care of patients that we don't care about it or we don't worry about it. And usually some lady in the back office does the coding for you. And that is the worst thing you can do to yourself. You have to do your own coding, like it or not. I'll tell you why. Because you're the one in that room with that patient, who knows that the, what the patient has, what the diagnosis is. And most of, most of the time in dermatology, there are more than two, three diagnoses. Then you're the one what, uh, who knows what you did to that patient. Not the lady who sits in the back office doing the coding and trying to figure out from the chart. Most of the time it's not available. Most of the time they cannot read your handwriting. Whatever the deal is, um, really it is your job as a provider to do your own coding because that's the only way um, you are in control and you're responsible for it. 
how can you be responsible for uh, something else, for something that somebody else is doing it for you? And you never go back and check. You probably don't even know what she is doing most of the time. Now, it is like a puzzle. It's like really mastering a foreign language. And there are four components of the coding that's really important. One, ICD-9, which are the diagnoses, okay? You have to master the diagnosis. You have to know what that patient has. And even if you don't know what the patient has, you can always put unknown rush or unknown neoplasm. You don't, what I mean by you don't, uh, you have to know what that patient has doesn't necessarily mean you know the disease she has or he has, but at least you have to have a diagnosis. And if you don't know, that's okay too. You can, there are diagnoses that reflects what you don't know. And it's called unknown rush, unknown neoplasm. So it's no big deal. Those numbers are available there. So you have to know that ICD-9 coding. Then you have to know what you did for that patient, any procedure that you did. And that's a CPT coding. CPT coding has to match the diagnosis. What do I mean with that? Well, you cannot do um, uh, prostate surgery on a female. So it's not going to work. The computer is going to spit it out. You cannot do a basal cell destruction on a face and code it that basal cell was on the leg. It just doesn't work. So you have to know how to code that basal cell in the right location. Then you have to know the modifiers. Modifiers are things that sort of get you around the system and make the things that you're not supposed to do make it possible or legal because you did it. Then you have to know the global periods because the government and the insurance companies don't want to pay you for certain things that you did for a certain procedure with, for a certain number of days. They assume that if you did that surgery, you have to take care of that patient for the next 10 days or 30 days or 90 days without getting paid. So you have to know those global periods. Otherwise, you can do so many things within that global period that you are not going to get paid or you have to use the right modifier in order to get paid. So there are four components, and they, it's almost like a puzzle. It matches together. So diagnosis codes, CPT codes, global periods, and um, modifiers. So we're going to start with the, uh, with the diagnosis codes, because diagnosis codes used to be very simple. It used to be a basal cell or used to be a, a squamous cell or an actinic keratosis. Guess what? And there were only three numbers. Now there are at least four or five numbers because there are location identifiers. Because depending on where that skin cancer is, you may get paid more, you may get paid less. Depending where that biopsy is, you can get paid more, you can get paid less. That's why you have to identify where uh, where the specific location is. For example, if you take a skin cancer, basal cells and squamous cells are 173. Uh, melanoma is 172. Uh, squamous cell carcinoma in situ is 232. Now, you have to know where that skin cancer is. If it's a eyelid, well, it's really simple actually. You can, after if you do it six months, then you'll memorize the numbers. Zero means lip, one is eyelid, two is ear, three is face, 
four is scalp and neck, five is the trunk, six arms, and, and seven are legs. Now, for example, if you do moles for a skin cancer on the back, that's 0.173.5. Medicare doesn't pay for that. They don't recognize that. But if your skin cancer is 173.3, which is on the face, they pay for it. Just with that one number, you can lose the whole case. So again, it's important to put that last digit as the location identifier. Um, when we were prescribing biologics in the old days, they were mo most of the TNF-alpha inhibitors were approved for psoriatic arthritis. So there is a difference between a code of psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis. 696.1 is psoriasis. 696.0 is psoriatic arthritis. Again, one number can make a big difference. Patch test. If you're doing an eyelid dermatitis, it's 373.3. If you, you want to be non-specific, it's 692.9, non-specific contact dermatitis. And I can go on and on and look at all those numbers, how specific they are getting in order to identify contact dermatitis. I mean, that's imp uh, impossible to remember. But if you look at your coding book, you can find all those. It's specified there. Contact dermatitis to cosmetics, 692.81, for example. Look all the detergents, dichromates. I mean, it's really very specific. And unfortunately, this is going to change. We're going to have ICD-910 in a couple of years. It's changing again. Ulcers. Well, if you, do, if you ever do UNABUT, you have to know the ulcer codes. Well, ulcer 707.13 is ulcer of the ankle, and you can put in a UNABUT, and that will get paid. But let's say by mistake you put, um, I don't know, if you put 707.8, ulcer of the abdomen, you're not going to put for your UNABUT because usually UNABUTs go on the legs. So again, what you do has to correspond to your ICD-9 coding, to your diagnosis. Otherwise, it's not going to get paid. Wards. Where I live in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, um, Humana is very, very predominant. And we call them inhumane. And they do not pay for wards they, because they consider those are benign and they should not get paid. The only wards that they pay for is genital wards and plantar wards. And that's 07.19. So if you freeze a ward for Humana patient, you put 178.10, you're not going to get paid because that's non-specific for wards. But if you put 0.078.19, you get paid because they're genital wards or plantar wards. The only number that they pay for in their system is 078.19. And that's the same code both for genital wards and plantar wards. Now, Medicare and most of the carriers do not pay for destruction of the benign lesions, including seborrheic keratosis, which is 702.19. On the other hand, if you have an irritated seborrheic keratosis, you document that and you code it appropriately, you get paid. At least Medicare carriers pay for it. But how are they going to know that it's irritated versus non-irritated? Well, the difference is 702.11 is irritated seborrheic keratosis 
versus 702.19 is regular non-irritated seborrheic keratosis, which they don't pay for. Again, look now, you have five digits here, and the only difference is the last digit. That's how they identify it. If you don't know that, you're not gonna get paid for the work that you did for. And it's not easy to know all those little differences. So that's the part with the diagnosis. Any questions? No questions? Can I go on the next part? Or any, anything I need to clarify? Yes? Um, I have a question regarding, can you, is this on? I have a question regarding melanomas. Um, I was taught that melanoma in situ should be coded as an in situ carcinoma rather than a melanoma. Um, and it depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to the most surgeon, they'll code the ICD-9 as an in situ carcinoma for a melanoma in situ versus the general dermatologist who'll code it as a melanoma. Can you comment on that? Okay. You said that melanoma should be coded as melanoma in situ? No, if it's a melanoma in situ, should I code it as a carcinoma in situ, which is, I think, a, I can't remember what the code is. It's, I guess, like a Bowen's disease versus being coded as a melanoma to distinguish it from being like You know, as far as I know, there is no code for melanoma in situ. So usually it's 17.172 as a melanoma. Thank you. Um, so either way, you're not doing anything wrong because either way, you are charging it as a malignant because in situs are considered malignant. Even if you go and charge as a, in situ as a Bowen's disease, which I don't think it's correct that because Bowen's disease is totally different than melanoma in situ. Uh, it's 232.2 is Bowen's disease. Uh, which is also considered malignant anyway. So the work that you do, your excision, or whatever you're doing, will be paid as a malignant lesion, not as a benign lesion. Which, so either way, it's fine. But as far as I know, I don't think, um, I, I usually um, build them as 172 as a melanoma. Any other questions on the diagnosis part? All that story with the warts, with the sep curves are all clear, everybody's clear with that? Okay, so now you master the diagnosis codes, okay? Let's go look at the CPTs. But before I do that, um, just a little bit of anatomy. And why is that important? There are different CPT codes for biopsies, depending on where you're doing that biopsy, depending on the location of the biopsy. Uh, I think probably in my practice, biopsy and freezing are the most common procedures that I do. And I am sure in most dermatology offices are. Biopsies and the freezings are the most common. So you're probably, and most people when they do biopsies, they code biopsy of the skin. And you probably are losing a lot of money because biopsy of skin is 1100. That's your number one biopsy. Number two, if you're doing more than one, 11101, it's basically, you can build, that's an add-on code, and you can build that two, three, four, five, six, as many as you did. So if you do, let's say, nine biopsies, your first one will be coded as 11100, and your second all the way to the ninth one will be coded 11101 times eight. 
So your total is now nine biopsies. However, those biopsy codes are the ones that pay the list. If you're doing a location-specific biopsy, you certainly get paid more for one reason or another. Don't ask me why. Eyelid biopsy pays the most, 67810. Um, genital biopsies pay quite a big. Uh, 54100 penis biopsy, 56605 is vulvar biopsy. Uh, nail, lip, ear, again, they pay more than the regular skin biopsy. The question is, how do we know what's what? Most people think that eyelid is only this here, the upper eyelid. Guess what? This is also your lower eyelid. If you look at an anatomy book, you'll see that all the way down to the infraorbital crease is your lower eyelid. Uh, most people consider that only the mucosal part of the lip is the lip. But guess what? This is your upper lip. This is the skin part of your upper lip. And here down into the mental crease, uh, it's submental crease, it's the lower lip. So it's really important to know those things and why to miss the opportunity to get paid a little bit more. So you do get paid more for those eyelid biopsies, lip biopsies, ear biopsies. So just make sure that you build them appropriately. There is nothing wrong with it. Any questions on that? This, by the way, this, um, I copied from a book. I mean, you know, you can find those anatomy books anywhere where they give you the, all the locations and the right, correct uh, definitions of, the, of those locations. So again, it's very, very important to know those numbers. And it's usually on my super bill, uh, so you don't have to memorize it. Also, by the way, if you do a eyelid, by, if you do a skin cancer on an eyelid or on a lip or on a um, ear, they also pay more than a reg excision on the cheek. So excisions and closures on the eyelid, on the ear, on the lip pay more than on the regular face or on the cheek or on the neck or on the back. We'll get to this. Now. How many people in this room, they hold their biopsies before they build until they get the pathology report? Please don't do that. Please, please, please don't do that. There is no reason for doing that. Because what you're doing, number one, you're increasing to your uh, office manager's or billing person's headache. That means you're losing time until you get that biopsy report. It's at least five, six, seven days, sometimes more. Uh, and things get lost in the shuffle. The best practice is to be able to bill at the end of the day or as the patient checks out, the checkout lady does the billing because you already circled everything on the super bill. But there is, did you have a question? Uh, let me just finish and then I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. But there's another reason why not to bill. When you do a biopsy, it's a biopsy, it's a biopsy. You don't need the result. You're biopsying something because you don't know what it is. Why are you waiting? You're waiting for the biopsies report to come back so that to use the code for billing the biopsy. So basically, the government is gonna turn around and ask you, if you knew that was a skin cancer, why did you biopsy it, doctor, to increase my expense? Just go ahead and take care of it. When you biopsy, your diagnosis code should be 
238.2, which is neoplasm of unknown behavior or whatever, or if it's a rash and you don't know what it is, there's a code for that too, 782.1, which, which is rash of unknown origin. So if you're biopsying a rash, your diagnosis code should be 782.1. If you're biopsying a bump or a lesion, it's 238.2, neoplasm of uncertain behavior. That's it. That's all I use for all my biopsy codes. And that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Because if you already know you blew a biopsy and you put down, uh, I don't know, dermatitis, then they're going to come back and ask you, if you already know it's dermatitis, why did you biopsy? To spend my money? It doesn't make sense. Philosophically, the whole thing is wrong. And also, you're wasting time by holding it and not billing it and losing things and causing more headaches. Yes? Somebody had a question somewhere. Go ahead. Really? That's new? Yeah. Do you know what insurance company? I don't know. But it's just like, you know, constantly everything's changing when we're doing the billing and filling up. We always fill out our billing sheets. And then the yeah. person that codes it, you know, every day we fill out before the end of the day. But just recently she was saying, oh, we have to hold on these. We have to hold for path. And I'm like, what the heck? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. But and that's what happens. But that doesn't make sense. Yes? Sorry, just a little announcement. We are um, recording these for, to be put on the website. So if you guys have a question, if you could just come up to the microphone so we can catch your question. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, for, for neoplasm unknown behavior, we use 239.2. Is that a different code than 238.2? I think 239.2 also includes the subcutaneous tissue like muscle and fat and all that stuff, and that's okay too. Okay. It doesn't matter. The, right. It's basically the same idea. Okay, thank you. We don't make it a practice to hold either, and in fact, because of your lecture last year, I was able to argue that. So, so <laughs> okay. thank you for that. Um, but what I wanted to point out right now, Medicare has a, yet the PQRI for melanoma. And so we hold our path on someone who's never had a history of melanoma, who is a Medicare patient, until we get that path. So they get into the PQRI. Is Got that, it. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Because the melanomas are going as the quality thing, and Medicare wants to know. So, so that you can use the appropriate modifier for that to be counted as the PQR, you're absolutely, yes, yes. But actually, you can always use that later because the, when the patient comes back for the follow-up treatment, and if it's a melanoma, uh, then you're going to put that number there anyway. So it really doesn't matter unless you never see that patient back, then you lose the opportunity to, to, get that, to get that patient included in the PQR. If you're the type of a practice that you biopsy it and send it to a surgeon or something that you never see that patient, then they will not know that you have that patient. So you're absolutely correct. But if you, I mean, if you see the patient back on the next office visit, your diagnosis code will be melanoma again, so you can include it in your PQR list.
Any other questions? So everything is clear on this one? Okay. Okay, now that I confuse you, you would say, oh, maybe I should do cosmetic dermatology and inject lots of Botox and don't worry with this stuff. <laughs> but still, medical dermatology is fun. I don't know how much you guys do cosmetic, how much you do medical derm. I have very low tolerance to deal with the cosmetic patients. That's why I moved from New York to Kentucky. <laughs> um, now, there are add-on codes that you need to know. And most important add-on code is the second biopsy or second site for the skin biopsies, which is 11101. Okay, as I said, you cannot use the add-on codes as a single code. It always has to add on to the primary code, otherwise you're not gonna get paid. For example, valvar biopsy, if you do have more than one, you do left and right or uh, more than one biopsy, then it's what's 56606. Um, those codes are inherently discounted. What do I mean by that? So it, not, they should not be subject to multiple surgery reduction rules. Uh, let's say 11100 is $75, then the add-on code 11101 is actually Medicare in my area pays for it $26. If you do more than one, that 20, that for, the third, for the second one, that 26 should not be 13 because it's already reduced. So the multiple surgery reduction rule does not apply. There are a couple of private companies that they do that, and that's not correct, that's not legal. They should not be doing that. United, for example, does not pay more than four units of 11101. So that literally translates that you cannot do more than five biopsy on a single United patient because you're not gonna get paid for your sixth one. And in the old days, they should chop that the first one uh, 50%, the, the, the first extra one by 50%, and then the second extra one by 25%. So they keep ch ch chopping, chopping, and at the fourth one, you end up with $6 for your fourth add-on biopsy. And then for the fifth one, they stop paying. So, uh, but they fix that now. They are paying the regular $26 for each one of them, but after the fourth one, they don't pay anymore. So just be careful, some of the private ones, they're gonna have their own policy. And basically their policy is we don't pay more than five biopsy. So I tell the patient, I don't do more than five. Come back tomorrow, I'll do another five. If you don't like it, go somewhere else, but I'm not gonna work for free. So that's my line. Um, you know, but you should be aware of those little things. Why should you do it for free? Now, evulsion of nail plate, and um, I think yesterday, Dr. Flesher was here. He said that he doesn't do any of those because it's so painful and uncomfortable. I don't do it either. I usually send them to the podiatrist or if it's on the hands, I send them to the hand surgeon. And, um, but the 111732 is an add-on code. And some podiatrists, they get really greedy and they put uh, 11730 times one, that's for the first one, and then they put another 10. You know, you can have only 10 toenails, you cannot have 11. So that's how people go to jail. So be careful uh, if you do any of this crap, you know, because it's like you have to think what you're doing. 
and sometimes you just do it and you don't think about it. Really, no harm intended, but this is where the, this is where the computers come in, and this is how you get caught when you start evolving 11 toenails. Um, actinic keratosis code, the 17,000 until a couple of years ago, uh, used to be for freezing or destruction of uh, benign and pre-malignant lesion. That means anything you froze, you can charge the 17,000 code, including warts. Well, that has changed now. That code is only for pre-malignant lesion. What does that mean? Basically, the only diagnosis code that you're gonna get paid for 17,000 is actinic keratosis. It's only for 702.0, that's actinic keratosis code, 702.0. So if you freeze a wart and, and you charge 17,000, you are not gonna get paid. If you freeze a mole, if you freeze a seborrheic keratosis, you are not gonna get paid for that because this code is only for actinic keratosis. If you freeze one, that's 17,000. If you freeze anywhere from two to 15, then you multiply that by now that number by 17,003. If you freeze anything more than 14, I should say 15 or more, that's 17,004. It gets really confusing because, so if you freeze, let's say 16, are you gonna use 17,000 plus 17,004? No. So 17,004, it's a standalone code. Um, oops, sorry. It's a 17,004 is a standalone code, meaning that if you freeze 16 or 166 or 1,600, it's still 17,004. That's all you get paid. If you freeze 10, then you need two codes, 17,000 and 17,003 times nine. 17,003, it's an add-on code. For example, each one of those 17,003s, they pay about six to seven dollars. I think Medicare pays six dollars. So if you do three of those, the first one will be 17,000. That gets paid around 40, 45 bucks. And then after that, you have two more left. So 17,003 times two, and you get six times two, that's $12 extra. So the bottom line is 17,003, it's an add-on code. You cannot use it alone. You should not be using it without the 17,000. But 17,004 is a standalone code. It's a one code only, and you should not be using it with any of the previous codes. Okay? Is that clear? It does get confusing. Any questions on that? Yes? Um, if you're using cryo for AKs and SKs, how do you code for that? Do you code them both separately? I'm um, sorry, if you're using cryosurgery for AKs? And SKs, inflamed And SKs. SKs. Yes. Um, someone um, told me that if you're doing both on one patient, you should code them all as AKs. Um, and then you go to jail. <laughs> which I don't, <laughs> which I don't. Because this person says that um, it's cheaper for the insurance company if you code them all as AKs instead of doing SKs and AKs. Okay, here's the deal, couple of things. Medicare 
and the law does not care what's cheaper for the government or not. They want the law to be followed. So that is absolutely wrong. And most of the doctors and the providers think that, oh, I'm saving money for the government. That takes you to jail. Saving money to the government doesn't help you. And that's not a good defense, because what you did, you committed a fraud by changing the diagnosis. You basically did one thing, and you wrote down another thing. So that's not going to happen. That's not good practice. If you froze AK, you document as you froze AK. If you froze SEP care, you document as you froze SEP cares. Now, so I'll tell you how to do it. You froze AK, you charge those. Then, if you frozen a seborrheic keratosis, number one, you should not be freezing a seborrheic keratosis because it's a benign lesion and you should be charging it to the patient, not to Medicare. However, if you froze a irritated seborrheic keratosis, which you can and you should bill the Medicare, then you bill this code, which is benign lesion, freezing of benign lesions. And that includes irritated seborrheic keratosis, that includes warts, that includes molluscum, anything except skin tags. Any benign lesion that you freeze, you use 17110 up to 14 lesions, or 17111, 15 or more. That's simple. So if you, let's say if you freeze seven irritated seborrheic keratosis, your code is 17110. If you froze 17 seborrheic keratosis, irritated seborrheic keratosis, your code is 17111. And you basically use modifier 59, and you attach your irritated seborrheic keratosis diagnosis code to your 17111, and then your um, actinic keratosis code, whatever, how many you did, you use those codes, and you use modifier 59. And that's that. So that's the right way of doing it. And you have to document that your SEP cares, 15, 17, or 18 of them are all irritated, which is going to be very, very difficult for any monitor to believe that somebody has 17 or 16 irritated seborrheic keratosis. People buy one, two, three irritated seborrheic keratosis under the bra. Uh, behind the ear, I don't know, here and there, one, two, three, but it's a hard sell to freeze, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever irritated SEP cares. You better document that really well, one at a time. So, but whatever you can do, as long as you document it, it's fine, but don't change the diagnosis code, don't change the CPT code, document it as it's supposed to be. Don't do one thing and don't document another. That's really the, that's not good, even though you're saving money to the government. Now, a lot of people, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, so this comes up in our practice a lot, um, ISKs. Do we have the right as a practice to say, offer it as a cosmetic service and charge cash for it? No, you should not be doing that for ISKs. Now, you mm -hmm. just said ISKs. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Regular SEP cares. I, I apologize, yes, I meant, I meant SEP cares. So Regular SEP cares, uh -huh. yes. So there is a form, it's mm -hmm. called Medicare waiver. You make the uh -huh. patient sign right. saying that 
this is not a covered thing. You want to pay for it. This is how much it's going to cost. Right. And you, you, they sign that and they pay for it. Right. And does the same hold true for um, other payers, other third-party payers? They're, they're arguing that it is, it's a potentially covered service. I mean, so I realize that we all know in SK that in general, if it's not irritated, there's no reason to do anything with it. But our office manager and billing people are saying that we cannot legally um, submit it, not submit that to their insurance because the insurance wants to decide whether or not it was irritated. Wait, now you're talking about Medicare or other private payers? Um, other payers and Medicare, both. Okay, when you do the Medicare, you tell your office manager that they should use the modifier GZ and as long as you have that paper on file, and Medicare will deny that automatically anyway. So what is the GZ? So you file it to Medicare and Medicare denies it. Okay. Now, the private payers are different. Every private payer has their own policy what they, if they cover benign lesions or not. As I said, in my neck of the woods, Humana does not even cover warts except genital warts and plantar warts. So I have the Medi uh, Humana policy on my wall in, in, in every room, in my exam room. I copied, I put it, I showed it to the patient. I tell them, look, here's the deal, you pay for it. I submit, if they pay, you get your money back. If they don't pay, you know ahead of time that you're out of it. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they don't pay. And if they pay, I return their money, that's all. And I make them sign that this is not a covered service. So the bottom line is I submit them all and then if they, most of the time, they're gonna deny it anyway, but you have to know what code to put for Medicare to get that denial, otherwise Medicare will pay for it. But if you put the right diagnosis code, Medicare will also deny it because they deny for 702.19. If you're, if you're doing um, non-irritated curves, Medicare will deny it. They won't pay for it anyway. And then you use the right modifier, if it's a mole or something else, they deny it, that's all. Am I understanding that you're saying that you have to submit it first and be denied? Which because one, private or Medicare? Either, um, you know, because we just, we, we label it as cosmetic, reassured, benign, patient desires removal. And quoted, you don't submit it? We don't submit it. Quoted, dead at, per lesion, this many done. Uh, you don't have to submit it, but because of the question that came that the office manager thought that they should submit it, yes. You do not have to submit it. It also avoids conflict from the, with the patient. If you submit it, and then if you get the denial, then the patient is not gonna haunt you, why didn't you submit it? Especially with Medicare, if the patient says submit it, submit it, I wanna know if my Medicare covers it, then you don't have to fight with them. Right. You know? I'm sorry, we were, I was counseled at my practice that to not submit it, would get us in trouble with the payer because we're charging for a potentially covered service. Correct, so correct. So we had to submit it. Correct, yeah. but with Medicare, if you have the waiver, you really don't have to. Uh -huh. But most of the time, the patients push you, oh, my Medicare paid for it. I'll tell you, and this is not a story, this is what happened to me. So I froze this lady's stepcares, um, all benign, like, I don't know, 20 of them or something like that, and I charged her, couple of hundred dollars, came back second time, and they were not gone, all of them, which I always tell them that it may take more than one time. 
I charge the second time, and then when they come back the third time, I do it for free. So, and that's all well documented. So she was all mad. About six months later, I got a letter from Medicare. They wanted her chart because she complained that I charged her a couple of dollars and I did not submit it to Medicare. And then also I had a copy of the letter that she wrote to Medicare that her primary care doctor all froze them after me and then, um, and then Medicare paid for them. So I basically, you know, gouged her. So the letter came back, I sent um, all the, uh, my notes and then I also made a copy of the Medicare local policy that says that, you know, we don't pay for the benign lesions, blah, blah, blah. And I, made, I attached that, I sent it. I, came, I called the medical director of the Medicare and I told her what happened. And nothing happened to me. About a year later, we have, in Kentucky, we get those um, letters from the licensing board every six months or every year, who lose their license, who's uh, Medicare abuse, who's going to jail, all that stuff. The primary care doctor who treated her got in trouble because of this stupid lady, because she said that I went to my primary care doctor and then he froze them and he didn't bill me, he billed Medicare. So, it was a headache, it takes time to deal with it, but if you do the right thing, most of the time you're okay. Uh, and unfortunately, she got her own primary care doctor in trouble because the guy really didn't know, you know, it's not his business, he should not be doing it, but he did it probably as a favor, and he didn't know, and he got in trouble. So the bottom line is, um, if somebody comes and pushes you, especially Medicare patients, submit it, submit it, Go ahead and submit it, use the right modifier, use the right diagnosis code, they have to deny it. They'll deny it. Now, with the privates, it's usually a gray zone. If you know the policy, like I know the policy for Humana, it's not a problem because it's black and white, it's written there. Uh, but most of the time, really, privates will be happy not to pay it anyway. <laughs> so they don't care about the, uh, about the uh, benign lesions. And if they pay, as long as you return the patient's money, that's, that's, that's fine. They make a mistake every day, right? They underpay you every day and then they say, oh, my computer made a mistake. So you say, you know what, we made a mistake, we're sorry, here's the money. As long as you return the patient's money, no harm is done. Now, if you look at the literature, oh, go ahead. As far as, um, I know that you're collecting the money up front and then um, giving it back if they pay for it, we're just having them sign ABNs with a, with yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. fee and just then charging them afterwards. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yes? Uh, before you move on, uh, my billers told me that I can't bill uh, or collect for a 17,000 and an 11,000 on the same day. So if I submit uh, 11,000 uh, and a 17,000, then you I will You mean biopsy 11,000? Yeah. Why can't you do it the same day? I don't know. It's just, that's what I've been as told, long as so it's wrong. As long as you use modifier 59. Okay. So you will get paid for the 17,000, 100%, and then, oh, I, I'm sorry, whichever pays more, depends on where you are. Whichever pays more, you get that 100%, and then your 17,000, you get paid at uh, 50%. Okay. Maybe they don't want you to get paid at 50%, I don't know, but you certainly can do it across the board. Every Medicare, every insurance company pays for that. We do it all the time. 
especially on Medicare patients, they always have something to biopsy, they always have something to freeze, so modifier 59 day, it should be okay. Great, thank you. Um, when you look, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's That's okay, no problem. It's an easy question. So um, I'm actually not familiar with modifier 59. I, I've used, for that scenario, modifier 25. No, modifier okay. 25 is an office visit. Oh, okay. Well, I guess maybe because it was combined with an office visit. If so, you have an uh -huh. office visit, then use your modifier 25 next to the office visit. Uh -huh. But procedures, they, all, they don't get 25. Oh, okay. If you do two different procedures to show that they are two different procedures, you have to use a modifier 59 on each one of them. And I get to those modifiers. Don't worry. Okay, thanks. And we'll do some examples. Now, if you look at the literature across the board, you're going to see that for people freezing AKs, they use the term cryotherapy. It is very, very wrong. Cryotherapy is for basically uh, slush CO2 or liquid nitrogen. When you take the liquid nitrogen and spritz it people's face for acne, that code is 17340. It pays about 45 to $75, depends on the insurance, depends on where you are. So that's spritzing the liquid nitrogen on people's face as a mist for acne, 17340. It has nothing to do with treatment of actinic keratosis. The correct term is cryosurgery. Um, there are about um, 27 companies now, bounty hunters that Medicare hired, coming and looking, auditing your charts. If you use the term, cryotherapy for freezing an AK, you are committing a fraud because what, do, what you're doing is you're charging this code, but you're doing cryotherapy. If you're doing cryotherapy, you should be charging 17340. This is only for acne. That's it, not for actinic keratosis. Do not do cryotherapy, please. Write down in your notes, cryosurgery. Is that all clear? Because Every time, even in uh, journals, in magazines, they write treatment or cryotherapy for actinic keratosis. It's a wrong term. At least it's a wrong term coding-wise. <coughs> Maybe medically it's not a wrong term, but coding-wise it's a wrong term. Yes, ma'am. We had a similar situation in our work where our billers were saying like, oh, you can't do a biopsy with freezing, like what you were saying. Um, and they, I think the reason they were telling us that is because you do, you get paid only 50% instead of 100%. Yeah. So they're like dissuading us from doing it. It's not really like you can't. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, we got a form from Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield similar to Humana saying that like you cannot, you know, a benign lesion is not covered, treatment of it is not covered unless, and then it lists all the specifications, okay. like redness, da, da, da. That's it. And so, you know, we don't even, I would be afraid, like you were saying, like how you submit it, and sometimes, you know, that 0.1%, the time that they do pay it, we don't even submit it, because if you do get paid for that, and it's, you know, there's nothing in the chart that's irritated or anything like that, you can, I think up to like five years later, they can retract that money, right? You are 100% correct. You are 100% correct. If you have a written policy, like you said, in your hand, that you can show to the patient and say, look, it's not covered, and that's the end of the story. The patient can yell and scream as much as they want to, but it's not covered. It's their policy, not my policy. So I made a copy of it and give it to them and go and fight with your employer, go and fight whoever you want to, but I'm not doing it because you're absolutely right. 
if by mistake they pay for it, they can come back and audit five years later and you have to pay it back and good luck finding the patient and charging them back. So you're absolutely right. As long as we have a written policy in your hand that says it's not covered, it's not covered. But I think the question was there, they don't know if it is covered or not. It's a gray zone. Let the insurance company decide it after you submit it. Then that's a different story. But again, if you have a policy, do not submit it. You're absolutely right. I would say across the board, though, you know, like certain companies like Humana or Blue Cross Blue Shield, obviously Medicare. Um, and if you are submitting that and you're letting the insurance company decide, at that time, they may not know, because obviously there's a lot of PCPs out there that are submitting yes. the you know, destruction of benign lesions and getting paid for it for whatever reason. And so you're really putting yourself at a risk there because they could come you know, several years down the road when they get enlightened, like, oh, this, is, this isn't supposed to be covered. They could retract that retract money. Retract the money. Yes, so. you're absolutely right. That's why you're better off not submitting it. As long as you have that written policy that shows that it's not covered, then you, that's it. There is, nobody can argue with that. It's writing in, uh, it's there, it's in writing that it's not covered. May I ask one more thing about that? Sure. Uh, so if you submit it and it's denied, how do you handle the difference in cost of what the insurance company bills the patient versus what you would have billed them? Because we frequently, um, when we've discussed it with our payers who say they weren't going to pay it anyway, what they would charge the patient is significantly more than what we would charge the patient if we didn't submit it. What do you mean they will charge the patient? Who's they? The insurance companies. Insurance like, company doesn't charge the patient. You confused me. I'm confused then. And well, if we submit for. Well, I guess it's, so you're saying that when it comes back that they're not going to pay for it, then you can adjust and charge no, the patient whenever no, you want? No, no, no adjustment because, okay, now, if it's an uncovered service, you can charge anything you want to because there is no adjustment. When you do Botox, you charge $300, it's $300, right? That's right. your fee. For removing the irritated seborrheic keratosis, it's an uncovered service. You can charge $5, you can charge $500, you can charge $5,000. You can charge anything you want. When you submit it, it comes back, it's gonna, whatever you charged, it's gonna show full responsibility for the patient. If you okay. charge 500, 500 will be responsibility of the patient. If you charge, charge five, it's five. So what I'm saying is there is no adjustment. The adjustment only comes in if you do a covered service. Let's say you do a biopsy and you charge $100 for the biopsy. The patient has a deductible. The insurance doesn't pay a penny because patient has a deductible. Now in this case, your charge is adjusted. You can only charge whatever the insurance company allowable is for that particular biopsy. So let's say they they pay you $56 for a biopsy, and this patient had a deductible, they paid nothing to you, and they say patient responsibility is only $56 because that's the allowable. That's what you're getting confused at. If it's a covered service, you can only charge the allowable of that insurance company. But if it's an uncovered service, you can charge anything you want, and it's not adjusted, okay? Is that clear? 
So that brings me back to this. It's, I think it's a very good point you brought up, the adjustment story. So what happens, the patient comes, has $100 deductible, okay? And you do a biopsy, your, you charge for your biopsy $75. Can you charge that patient that $75? Yes, hands up. No? Nothing, no answer? How much can you charge that patient? You know the patient has a deductible, you already called. Are you gonna let that patient go out of your office without charging? Most people do, by the way. Because the issue becomes, the patient says, how, much, how do you know how much my insurance is gonna pay you? How, much do I owe, how do you know how much do I owe you? Because just because you charge $75 for that biopsy, you are not gonna get paid $75 by that insurance. You know that. So what you can charge is only up to the allowable. How do you know that? You better have a fee schedule from each insurance company and how much they pay you or how much they allow you for that particular procedure. So in my office, the secretary up front has five, six different lists for the big, you know, for the major insurance companies. Basically, I have a Humana, Aetna, Cigna, United, and uh, Medicare. I, have, I know the fee schedules, so if somebody comes and we know that they have a deductible, I go back what I'm gonna be doing it, and you only know once the patient comes in into the room, because you don't know if they have one biopsy, two biopsy, three biopsy, so while they are in the room, okay, I said, I'm gonna be biopsying this and this, it's a two biopsy or one biopsy, and then the nurse tells them, excuse me, ma'am, or sir, you have deductible, it hasn't been met yet, and you need to pay for this service and then the patient goes how much it will be, and then the, the nurse goes outside, gets the list, brings it to the patient and says, okay, one biopsy, it's like a restaurant menu. One biopsy, uh, your insurance allows you $56, and it's gonna be $56. We charge them in the room, take the money, and then I go back, I do the biopsy. We will not, and if they say I don't have money, come back tomorrow. The only time I don't let them, I'll do it without getting paid if it's a melanoma. Other than that, there is no reason. Nobody is gonna die from their basal cell or squamous cell if they come tomorrow and I do the biopsy. But I don't, I don't do it if they have a deductible and if they don't pay, I just don't do it. I send them back, let them come tomorrow. So we don't let anybody, most people say, oh, my doctor bills and then I, uh, and then uh, bill me later. Why should I bill you later when I know insurance company is not gonna pay me? So we always have, no, we always know how much their deductible is, how much has it been met. Now it's so easy. In the old days we used to call one by one. Now it's on the online. You can go online before the patient comes, you print it out and we show it to them. Here, it hasn't been met. Oh, but I know it's met. Well, then you call your insurance company, deal with it, let them fix it on the computer and make, bring a printout and come back tomorrow, that's all. Any questions? Okay, so benign lesions except skin tags, warts, irritated seborrheic keratosis, all of them are um, 17110 up to 14 lesions. If you're doing more than that, 17111. Remember this, I'm just repeating myself, but this is really, really important. It's not cryotherapy, it's cryosurgery. 
Site-specific destructions, what do I mean? Now, what if the wart is on the penis? It's a genital wart. What if the wart is in the rectal area or is on the vulvar area? There are separate codes. They pay more than the regular destruction codes. They pay more than these codes, okay? So please, please, please be aware and charge them accordingly. Uh, penis lesions pay more. Uh, if you do a destruction of extensively, it's a, it's a, again, it's more payment, but you better uh, document it. Why is it extensive? How many genital warts were there? Was it on the meatal area? Is it a difficult area to freeze? Is it the easier area to freeze? Is there a risk to the patient when you freeze certain areas on the genital area? So all that stuff has to be documented while you're doing extensive destruction versus regular destruction. If you use a chemical destruction, meaning like Condolux, um, no, Condolux is a prescription, but uh, Podophilin in the office, that's different than the freezing. So again, you have to know if you're using a laser, that's regular destruction. I don't care how you destroy, destruction is destruction. You can spit on it, you can uh, rub your finger on it, you can use a laser, you can use electrocautery, you can use liquid nitrogen, you can use put your feet on it and rub it, whatever you are doing, it's destruction. I don't care how you're doing it. Because you have a fancy shimensi laser and you paid $100,000 for that laser, doesn't mean that you can charge more or you're gonna get reimbursed more. Destruction is destruction depending, regardless how you're destroying it. Is that clear? Any questions? Okay, the same thing with malignant destructions. If you're doing curtage and desiccation, it's still a destruction of a malignant lesion. If you're using a laser, it's still a destruction of a malignant lesion. If you're using liquid nitrogen, it's still a destruction of malignant lesion. I do use a lot of liquid nitrogen if I have elderly patients. They don't like the needles. They don't like, uh, or they are on Coumadin, or they're gonna build it one way or another. They, they are 105 years old. They are in a wheelchair. They're gonna die tomorrow. I'm not gonna torture them. I'm not, basically what we do is, I, call, I put the fires out, I take the liquid nitrogen, I freeze them, and they're okay for the next year anyway. And that's basically destruction of a malignant lesion. It doesn't matter how you destroy, as long as you're destroying it, and you documented how you did it. Depending on where you're destroying it, there are different codes, and there are 10 days global period for each destruction. So before now I get into the global period story, I'm just giving you the global periods. If you're doing destruction of a malignant lesion, that's 10 days. And those are, by the way, are paid by the size. The numbers over there you see uh, according to the size. 17260 is the smallest, 17266 is the biggest. But you, you look at your coding sheet, Usually the, num uh, the centimeters from which centimeter to which centimeter is there. And then face, ears, eyelids, nose, lips gets the most. Trunks, arms, and legs, legs gets paid the least. Yes, ma'am. There are definitely times um, when we've done a biopsy and something came back a basal cell, refer to a Mohs surgeon, and they've frozen it. So I can see that. Um, in your office, I, we do the same thing if somebody's very elderly and they have a very small basal cell. We freeze it. So my question is, can we do that even though we don't have 
a proven like biopsy of that gene. You know I mean, based on a supposed that looks like a basal cell, can we bill it as a malignant lesion? Do you know what I mean? Can yes. you like ethically do that? Well, here is the deal. If I am doing MOS and I do a lot of MOS, I will not cut anything unless I have a biopsy report that I, it's, it's a skin cancer, right? Uh, because now you have a high item, high item procedure that's costing a lot of money and you're disfiguring the patient. So both medical legally as well as financially, I don't cut on anybody unless they have a biopsy proven skin cancer. When you're doing a destruction of a malignant lesion, meaning you're either creating it or, or freezing it, and you're billing it as such uh, without a biopsy report, you certainly can do it. The only time you're gonna get in trouble is when the Medicare comes and audits you and says, you know, doctor, you charge this as a malignant lesion. Do you have a, did you biopsy it? Do you know that it's a skin cancer? And you can say that, no, I did not biopsy it, but somehow in your physical exam, if you document that appropriately as a basal cell, meaning you can say scaly, erythematous, pearly, nodule with telangiectasia, and you take that physical exam, you show to any other dermatologist in the community, they're gonna say that physical exam is corresponding to a basal cell versus on your biopsy note, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, on your note, on your physical exam, it says man, red bump. Red bump can be anything. It can be angioma, it can be uh, regular irritated mole, then they're gonna question, they're gonna say, you know what? Your notes are not complete, it's not as documented as a skin cancer, then maybe it wasn't malignant, it, maybe it was benign and you overcharged. I don't know, does that answer your question? But that was a really good, that's a very good question, that's a good point. Any other questions? Benign excisions. This is not oxymoron because you should not excise anything that's benign. <laughs> In the old days, you got paid for benign excisions, right? If you have a benign mole, the patient wanted it out, then you got paid for it, insurance paid for it. I don't bill anymore anything that's a benign that, um, that I have to excise, I bill the patient. You want it out, either go see a plastic surgeon or you want me to do it, pay me. Now, the only time benign excisions come into play is if I have an atypical nevus. Then I biopsy it, the biopsy report comes with atypical nevus, margins positive, severe dysplasia. I have to go back and cut that out. I have to excise that out. Where do you bill it? Is it malignant or is it benign? Well, if, it's, if you bill as malignant, then what code are you gonna use? There is no code for atypical nevus. So what I do is I rather undercode in that situation and I code it as 238.2, neoplasm of unknown origin, which is really the, the truth. You don't know what's gonna happen to those atypical nevus. They can stay atypical, they can, they never become malignant, or they may become malignant, you don't know. So in my mind, that is really a neoplasm of unknown origin. So I build that as 238.2 diagnosis code, 
And when I excise it, I do use those benign excision codes. And I have never been denied or rejected. And if anybody can ask, I do have a biopsy report that it's really not a regular mole, it's an atypical mole, and the margins were positive, so I went back and I excised it. And I used the benign excision code. That's the only time I use the benign excision codes. I never use it for a regular mole or for any other lesions. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, I have one in here, and then can you come to the mic? Go ahead, sure. How do you handle the removal of cysts? Cysts I don't remove. If I remove, I charge the patient. Now, ironically, almost 100% of all insurances, if you have an inflamed, infectious cyst, they pay for the incision and drainage. I have never been denied. So I tell the patient, if you want, I can go and incise it and drain it. The bump is going to go, but I, I actually draw the sac, and the sac of the cyst is there. Unless you remove it, it's going to come back. So if you want me to do the easy and cheap way, I'll do it, incise and drain it, and that's done. But six months later, or six years later, or six days later, it can come back. Or if you want me to go ahead and take it out, I'll be more than happy to do it. The insurance doesn't pay for it. And then if they don't want to pay, I tell them, go to see a plastic surgeon. I'm done. I don't do it. And then that's the easy way out. But that's, that's what I do. Because if you take a cyst, you cut it as a 706.2, which is a cyst, and you build that as an excision, you are not going to get paid for it because it's a benign lesion. And insurance companies are pretty, pretty adamant about that because 706.2 and 706.1, they go together, acne and cyst. Anything that's related to acne, they think it's benign, it shouldn't be paid. Yes, ma'am. My question is regarding two separate lesions. One is a benign uh, irritated nevus on, under the bra line or somewhere where a patient, you know it's benign. Yeah. How, how are you billing that? Is it a biopsy or an excision? The easy way out will be biopsied and bill it as a biopsy. Okay. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's an irritated uh, uh, nevus, or maybe it's a squamous cell carcinoma in situ, then you can charge it as a biopsy. Okay, and then the other is a pyogenic granuloma. And um, what? Pyogenic granuloma. Are you just destroying those and destructing them and building, billing them as a destruction code, or just? Pyogenic granulomas, I usually cut them out. Uh -huh. I build them as a biopsy, and then I burn the bottom. Okay. Perfect. But basically, I build them as a biopsy. Okay, thank you. One thing is if you charge things as a biopsy, you can never go wrong. Maybe you don't get paid a lot, but you get paid some, and you always have a biopsy report coming back to you for safety. I mean, the other thing is, let me just go back for a second and ask you this. What do you, do you have a policy in your office? What do you do with your specimen? Everybody should, and this has nothing to do with insurance, but has something to do with insurance. Medically, legally, what is your policy? And you should have this in writing. What is your policy in your office for removed specimen? If you go to a hospital, if you go to an outpatient center, they all have policies what they do with the removed specimen. Does it all go to pathology? Does it go to the garbage? Does it, do you give it to your dog to eat? What do you do with the specimen that you remove in your office? 
you should have a written policy. The lawyers are very hot and heavy on that. Because what if you remove the skin tag and it was, and this has happened, by the way, several times. People remove nine skin tags under the arm and one comes back as a melanoma. Which one it is? Or what if you throw it away, all the skin tags, and one was a melanoma? How do you deal with it? So you really should have a policy. If you go and look at a policy books in a hospital in the OR, the only thing that they throw away is suctioned fat. Everything else, everything else goes to the pathology. Now you can say that they are doing that so that they make money, but they're also covering themselves from the lawyers. So you should have a policy of what you do with what you remove. Yes, ma'am. In that situation where there are nine skin tags, are you saying to send them as individual? Skin tags? Yeah. <laughs> That's a $9 million question. In my office, my policy is the only thing that I don't send to specimen, the only specimen that I don't send is skin tags. So somebody comes in that, that they have, I don't know, 10, 12 skin tags. I tell them the insurance doesn't pay for it. I can remove them for you. It's, this is how much it's going to cost. And I don't send them to the lab. And if they say, and if they say, but I want them to be sent to the lab, I said, OK, you want to pay for it? I'll send them to the lab. And I make them sign something that I'm not sending them. Um, I'll tell you an interesting story. Okay, the other thing is, what do you do with the seborrheic keratosis that you remove um, that are not irritated, right? The patient comes and says, nice old lady, you know, I want my sepcurs are gone. I know I have to pay doctor. So you remove them, three of them. What do you do? Do you, do you put it in the garbage? Do you give it to your dog? Do you give it, what do you do? Do you send them to lab? I'll tell you what happened to me. Um, so this old lady comes in, really nice lady. She says, I really don't, I want, I want you to biopsy this. I look at it, I said, it's seborrheic keratosis. Um, no, she said, I want you to remove this. People don't say biopsy. I want you to remove this. I said, it's benign, it's okay, you don't need it, you can keep it. She goes, I want it to be removed, I don't like it. I said, if you don't like it, you gotta pay for it. Okay? So, um, so she says, okay, I'll pay for it. Then she asked me and she said, what are you gonna do with it? This is exactly what she asked me. I said, what do you want me to do with it? She says, I want it to go to lab. Well, I said, but you know what? I'm not biopsying it. I cannot charge Medicare because it's benign. I know it's benign. If you wanna pay for it, I can send it to the lab. And this woman said, yes. So two weeks later, she comes back. I tell her, I open the chart, I look at it. It's, uh, it's malignant melanoma in situ. So I go, do you want the bad news first or do you want the good news? She goes, give me the good news. I said, I have to return your money back. <laughs> she goes, why? I said, it was a malignant melanoma in situ. So I learned my lesson. I mean, it happens. Uh, so everything I remove, I send it to the lab, except the skin tags. But I have heard. Actually, it happened to one of my attendings in Buffalo. She cut a couple of uh, skin tags. She put them all in one bottle because she didn't, she, at that time, this is about 20 years ago or so, the insurance were still paying. So 
She wanted to save money to the insurance company. She charged them as a biopsy. She built the insurance company, but she, you know, she didn't want nine separate pieces of Skindex in nine different bottles. And she put them all in one bottle. One of them was a melanoma. So you sort of have to think about it. Yes, ma'am? What about irritated skin tags? Uh, irritated over. skin tags, you remove them, and there is a code for it, okay. 11200. Again, it goes with the numbers, I believe. Any other questions, concerns? Yes. I was hoping that you would touch on it, but you haven't yet. Um, we've currently, or occasionally, will pare a wart down before freezing it. And I just heard back from the billers that they're, that, that code is bundled, so we can't charge for the pairing and the freezing. Is that a common thing, or is there a modifier you could use on that, or you just pick one? No, you're absolutely right. You cannot charge pairing and the freezing separately. You can only charge whichever pays higher. I think in this case, freezing pays higher, mm -hmm. so you can charge for the Freezing. Okay, thank you. In our practice, we don't uh, cryo SKs, we actually shave them instead. Yeah. And there's the shave codes with the mm -hmm. size, so that's still fine if you're just irritated, for an ISK. Irritated yeah. SKs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's irritating, it doesn't matter how you're doing it. Whatever, you whatever you're doing it, you should be charging it for that particular thing. You can even excise it. You know, malignant excisions, again, it goes with the site, and, um, uh, and it goes with the size. And again, the same story, face, ears, eyelids, nose, lips pays the most, trunk, arms, and legs pays the least, and it has 10-day um, global period. Now, this is where it comes handy if you're holding your pathology. Because if you're holding your pathology and if you did an excision and you don't know what it is, then this is where it comes handy because if it's a, a, you're billing an excision and you hold your pathology, it comes as, as a basal cell, then you charge as a malignant. But what if it comes benign, it comes back as a nevus, now what are you gonna charge? Because you're not supposed to charge for a benign excision. You're stuck. Um, if you're doing an excision and a flap and a graft, you cannot charge for an excision. You only can get charged for the flap or the graft, except MOS. If you're doing MOS, then you can charge both for MOS and the flap or the graft or the closure. All right, now we're done both with the diagnosis and the CPT codes. Before I go any further, any questions, concerns? And I know some of the things that I am questioning, I'm not giving answers because I don't think there are answers. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's a lot, obviously, a lot of journals and different articles and newsletters that come out. And we, I was recently reading in my, um, 
my supervising physician and I were talking about this, that there's um, a woman, she's a dermatologist, like re really up on coding and everything, and she holds her paths because of like if she'll do a shave on something or a sauce, you know, saucerization on something, and it comes back that it was excised by the pathologist, she'll actually charge an excision. Have you heard of that? Or I know that's kind of a debate that's going on right now that things that you, we've traditionally billed as biopsies can actually be called an excision. I think, um, first of all, as I said, you should not be excising. What if it comes back benign? And they're going to ask you, why did you excise a benign lesion, doctor? It's not going to kill the patient. It's not cancerous. So it doesn't make sense. I think like in that case, you would charge a biopsy. OK. Then if, it's, if it comes back as a cancer, then you're going to charge it as an excision, and then you're going to go back and cut it out again and charge another excision? No. No? Then what are you going to do with it? Because margins are positive. It comes back as a basal cell. But I mean, the margins would be clear. It comes oh. back Okay, so, okay, okay, that's, that's a good scenario. So, the mar so you actually did a biopsy in your mind. You're holding the pathology. It comes back as basal cells. Margins are clear, right? So instead of charging as a um, pathology, you're going to go ahead and charge as an excision. A simple excision. A simple, there is no such thing as simple excision. 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 Now. Yes, you're going to get probably a couple of dollars more on that. Depends on where it is. First of all, if that is the case, it's probably a small skin cancer you're dealing with, maybe half centimeter, maybe one centimeter. And I'll tell you what, sometimes biopsies pay more than an excision if it's on the trunk. The only time you get paid more on an excision, more than a biopsy, if it's on the face. But if your biopsy is on the eyelid or a nose or on the ear, you, I mean, not nose, but ear and lip, you're going to get paid more anyway. So basically, what you're doing is for extra 10, 20 bucks, you're changing your whole office policy. And how many times does that happen? How many times a year do you have biopsy that ba it comes back as a margins clear ba ba basal cell? It happens to me maybe, and I do 40 biopsies a day, it happens to me maybe once every six months or one, twice every six months. Is it worth it for that extra $40, $50 to change your policy and create havoc? I don't do it. I mean, it, to me, in my mind, it's for extra 100 bucks you're going to make a year. It's just not worth it. But I understand the logic, and it is logical. Yes, you can do it in that case. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think you mentioned this already, but as far as award, if you're doing EDNC, destruction is destruction, you still charge it as a benign destruction, and that's yes. it? Okay. Yes, yes. And then um, you just mentioned for assuming a patient comes in, they want their you know, benign moles or SKs removed, but they do want it sent to PATH, you, do, you cannot bill the insurance for that. You do have to charge them separately for the pathology? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I charge for it myself, and I, I send it to pathology, and usually I get a discount from the pathologist anyway, and so it works okay for me. Uh, and then when the patient comes back, I have a report, they feel better, I feel better. Yes. Unless it comes back as positive, then I go back and reverse the charges and then pay the patient back and then charge the insurance, as it happened with this old lady. 
and that happened to me once, but it does happen. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I did. But in the future, why not bill everything every you, you think is an SK if you shave it off as a biopsy? You just said the word that you think it's an SK and you're doing it as a biopsy. Now, the moment you think it's an SK, really that's an ethical thing in your mind. What am I doing here? And maybe if it's one on a patient, okay, you can justify it in your mind. What when if the patient has 20 of them that they want to remove, you biopsy 20, it's not going to be very kosher. Yeah. And if you really, I had an article once I, um, at, uh, at uh, Skin and Aging, how to deal with different difficult patients. So sometimes I tell them, you know, it's an SK, and he, they tell me, how do you know it's an SK? Right? So you biopsy it. Guess what? If they really, really, these patients, they, get, they make me mad, I said, okay, I'm going to biopsy it. I take, let's say, you have a two centimeter SK. I take the tip of the SK. I biopsy it. I leave the rest back. <laughs> then they come back. Here, it's the biopsy report. It's benign. Now, you want it off or not? Then you have to pay for it. <laughs> Depends on how that patient really, some of the people, they bring the worst out of you. And I had a couple of those, then that's what I did. <laughs> right? Biopsy doesn't mean you remove the whole thing. Biopsy means you remove a piece of it. So I removed a piece of it. <laughs> but you can do that, and th that's totally legal. Okay. Simple repairs. So simple repair almost none existed anymore in our practice because you should not be charging for it. What does simple repair mean, by the way? Simple repair is you put a couple of sutures on the skin layer without any, any deep sutures, okay? And that's a simple repair. Um, simple repairs are not reimbursed anymore with any excisions or biopsies. So you cannot say that I did a punch biopsy or I did socialization or whatever and I put a couple of stitches and bill for that. You cannot do that. I mean, you can do that, you're not gonna get paid. So simple repairs don't get paid. The only time simple repairs get paid, patient comes in with an excision or with a laceration from another office or you're in the ER, patient has a laceration and you put a couple of stitches, that's the only time you get the simple repair paid. So the bottom line is if the excision, you, you created the excision or you created the hole and you put the stitches and it's only simple repair, you don't get paid. The only time you get paid for it if the patient comes back with the hole from somewhere else. The most common example of that will be you have a kid with a laceration on their finger or somebody comes with a laceration with a, um, um, with a uh, knife or something like my wife cut her finger on Thanksgiving Day with, uh, with the, as she was carving the turkey. So that's a lustration. And she went to, we went to the hand surgeon. They put a couple of stitches. That's simple repair. They get paid for it. Intermediate repairs, that's when you have a, um, subcutaneous sutures. So you have at least two layers of suturing. Again, it's by location and it is uh, by size. Again, if it's on the face, ears, eyelids, nose, lips, you get the most. If it's on the scalp and trunk extremities, you get the least. 
global period, 10 days. By the way, as we go along on those slides, I am putting all the global periods for your attention. So almost so far, everything has been 10 days. It's remember. Just, it's really easy to remember. But we'll do that at the end as a summary. Um, complex repairs. You know the definition between complex and intermediate repair is very, very vague. What does complex repair? When do I charge complex repair? If I do most, I have a round circle, and now I have to go back and make dog ears. I have to go undermining, depending on the location. I do like 10, 15 centimeter undermining underneath. You do all that stuff, then you can justify, as long as you document it, you can justify it as a complex repair. But you already have an ellipse. You know, you did an excision, you cut an abnormal mole out, you already have an ellipse there, you don't even do undermining, or you do a little bit of undermining, you put a couple of stitches in the subcutaneous layer, and then a couple of stitches on top, then that's an intermediate repair in my book. If you look at the, def if you go back to the CPT book and read the definition, it's not very 100% uh, clear cut, but that's dog ear repair, uh, extensive undermining, whatever that means, extensive undermining, qualifies you for a complex repair. Any questions on that? Flaps and grafts, um, they are actually by square centimeters. Flaps and grafts by square centimeter, not by size. Let me go back with the either complex repairs or the intermediate repairs or the simple repairs they mean the size means from the first stitch to the last stitch. That's the definition of the size. You can have this much of a wound, you put two stitches in the middle, then that's the size from the first to the last. Always, just remember, from the first stitch to the last stitch. But when you do a flap or a graft, it's not the size in centimeters, it's square centimeters. You have to figure out the area of that flap or the graft, and I will tell you how to do that after I answer the question. Sorry. Um, there are patients that we have that, you know, just keep getting multiple basal cells. You know, they come in, they have maybe a 3 by 3 or 4 by 4 pearly papule, and we give them the option to either biopsy it or do a punch excision, and, um, you know, they'll frequently, you know, do a punch excision, 10 millimeter, hold for path, comes back as a basal cell excised. Um, in that case, I'm pretty sure that we're charging in a simple repair, because we're not doing, we're just doing nylon on it. We're not doing any Vicryl or anything. You're not getting paid. Well, I'm pretty sure we are. So you're doing it, wait a second, in a separate day? No, the, like the same, the day that we do So the you're doing a punch excision, and you're getting, you're charging a simple excision? Mm -hmm. No way. I bet you. I'm I almost 100% sure we're definitely doing that. You're charging maybe simple. intermediate repair. No. We're not. The only time we charge intermediate repair is when we, do, we use Vicryl. So you're doing a punch biopsy or an excision, whatever. Mm -hmm. We and call it a punch excision. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're doing an excision. It's called a punch excision. Mm -hmm. And you're getting paid for a simple repair? Mm -hmm. That's one of my, my question before when we were doing like a shave or a saucerization. We, can, we will also charge those as like a simple I guess, like I had called it a simple but excision, but simple, it's a simple repair, Wait, I guess. you said simple excision, that's why. There is mm -hmm. no simple excision, you mean simple repair? Mm -hmm. I know we're definitely getting paid for I would be otherwise very we surprised. wouldn't be doing them. 
will talk. I would okay. be very surprised. What insurance company is paying? Do you know? Which ones? Yeah. Gosh, I mean, we work with Southern Health. Where are you located? Harrisonburg, Virginia. Harrisburg in Virginia? Harrisonburg, Virginia. Okay. I don't know. I, that I don't know, but I would, I would be really surprised if they pay for simple excision. I'm moving there. <laughs> um, so area of a defect doesn't mean that you can measure from one end to the other. Area of a defect is actually, if you go back to high school and remember how you do the um, area of a circle, it's pi r squared. The small r is your radius, the big r is your diameter. So it makes a big difference if you have a 10 centimeter in diameter um, uh, wound. So that wound size is not 10 centimeter, it's actually pi r squared. Your, so if your diameter is 10, your radius is 5. So 5 times 5 squared is 25. Pi is about 3. So 3 times 25 is almost 78. Uh, 75 square centimeters. Look how much money you're losing if you build that as a 10 square centimeter. So again, it's very important to figure those things out and get paid correctly. In the old days, there was something called apple graft, like for diabetic ulcers and stuff. I used to do it quite a bit, and those, they don't exist anymore. There were certain codes, they were deleted. So now each, um, th there are new codes for allogenic skin substitute, and they are built as 25 square centimeter or less, or 25 square centimeter or more. Um, okay, how do we handle complication? When can you charge patient within the global period? So they did an, you did an excision. <clears throat> okay, patient comes back in, um, in a week, and you remove the sutures, or it's an old man, they cannot change their dressing. Two days later, they come back to change their dressing. Do you charge? Nope. Um, if they charge, if they come back 14 days later, can you charge for suture removal? Now, remember, the global period for an excision is 10 days. So if somebody comes back within the 10-day global period, you cannot charge, or you can charge, you're not gonna get paid, you're gonna get denied. But if they come back in 14 days, now it's more than the global period, right? And most of the time, I usually bring people back in two weeks if the wound, if the excision is not on the face. On the face, I bring them back five to six days. If it's on the chest and back or whatever, anywhere else, it's usually two weeks. So legally, you can charge because it's more than 10 days, but ethically, you really, I don't charge because if you charge, then you have to charge a copay, and you know, I don't charge for suture removal. The bottom line is, no matter how many days is, I don't charge for suture removal, and I don't think most people do. On the other hand, what if you did an uh, extensive excision and you told the patient, please uh, refrain from uh, excessive exercise, blah, 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 it's, you did the excision, put sutures on the shoulder, and this schmuck goes and plays tennis the next day, and then the sutures open up, the wound opens up, and calls you midnight, my wound opened up, what kind of a crook doctor you are. Well, because you played tennis and you didn't listen to my instructions. So that is not your normal uh, 
complication. The patient comes back, I put uh, sutures again, I charge them. And that's okay as long as you put the right modifier. There are actually codes for wound dehiscence and even for hematoma, for bleeding. And there are appropriate codes. As long as you do those things to put the right code there, you get paid. Um, if it happens the same day, you use modifier 59. If it happens during the post-op period, you use modifier 79. If it happens after post-op, you don't need a modifier. But again, those are, those are the non-expected complications, okay? Any questions on those? So now we're putting the puzzle together with the ICD-9 codes, CPT codes, and all the complications. How about the global periods? This is a very, very, very simple list to remember, really. And again, if you figured out the elevators here, you can figure out this. Everything is 10 days, except flaps and grafts are 90 days. Moles and skin biopsy is zero days, has no global period. So you can do anything you want. The patient comes back after the biopsy the next day. You can do anything you want. You don't need a modifier. There is no global period. Moles, there is no global period. The most complicated one is usually the flaps and grafts because somebody did a flap, the patient comes back in two months later, have an AK, you froze the AK, and now you forgot that the patient has a flap two months ago, and you bill and you get denied. <clears throat> most of the time, good billing people or good billing systems they flag that for the next 90 days in the computer so that anything you do within that 90 days, then they put the appropriate modifier, which is 79 in this case, then you get paid. So it's very important that that's when a good billing person comes in because you probably forgot or maybe the other doctor saw in the practice that he did the, the most guy did the flap and then come, the patient comes back two months later and you froze an AK. So Nobody knows unless you flip over the chart and you look at it. So that's where a good um, uh, billing person comes in or a good computer billing system comes in because usually um, we flag those things. If I did a flap on somebody, I flag them for the next 90 days so that you put that uh, modifier in. So this is really easy. So flaps, graphs, 90 days. Skin cancers, I'm sorry, skin biopsy and moles, zero days. Everything else is 10 days. Even freezing AKs are 10 days. So somebody comes back within the 10 days, if you froze an AK, anything you do, you need to use a modifier. Some of the biopsies are complicated. Uh, then they have 10 days global period also, but those are very rare. Um, for example, 4100 series are are um, the tongue biopsies and the perirectal biopsies are 10 days if you're doing any of those. So by the way, just as a side note, all the skin biopsies, anything related to skin, integumentary system starts with one. Anything with the eye is 6,700, ear 6,900, all those series. Anything, it's the GI tract, starting all the way from the lips all the way down the other end is 
four. It starts with four. So tongue biopsies are with 4,100. Uh, lip biopsies, 40409. Uh, and then perirectal biopsy is also something with four, five. So the bottom line is anything on, and then anything on the genital area, male or female, it starts with a five. Usually 5,400s are male genitalia, 5,600s are uh, female genitalia, 55 is somewhere in between. Uh, so modifiers are, modifiers are important. Modifiers, they enable you to do things that you're not supposed to do. So basically, modifiers give you legality of the things that you're not supposed to do. What do I mean by that? Remember I said, if you do something on a global period, you're not gonna get paid. But if you put a modifier 79, that shows that what you did wasn't really related to the original, scheme, original procedure that you did, then you get paid. For example, if you did a flap on a skin cancer and then within that 90 days, the patient comes back and says, hey doc, you know what, I've got this rough area, you freeze that, that's an AK, you need a modifier 79. That shows that that AK that you froze has nothing to do with the original flap that you did. So basically, that makes it, that gives you that legality to do that that enables you to do something that is not supposed to be done. Um, if you do two biops, two procedures on the same patient, as you said, seven, uh, freezing and a skin biopsy, you certainly can do it, as long as you use modifier 59. So those two are the most important one, 59 and 79 that you should know. Modifier 25 goes with an office visit. Now, what do I mean with that? If you just, somebody comes in for an AK, you freeze that AK, you're not supposed to charge an office visit, you just froze it already. What if the person has an AK and also um, eczema? So now you treated their eczema and then you froze the AK. Now you can charge for an office visit, you have two diagnoses. But the, com uh, the computer isn't gonna know that you have, you did two things, an office visit, so in order to be able to do that, you put a modifier 25 next to the office visit. That's where the modifier 25 comes in. What if you, a kid comes in with an acne, has a wart, and has a pyogenic granuloma? You froze the wart, you cut the pyogenic granuloma, also has acne. Now you have three diagnoses, and you did two procedures and an office visit. So how are you gonna build? Office visit gets a modifier 25, and then the biopsy and the freezing gets modifier 59. And I'm gonna give you all those examples at the end, but I'm just gonna give you how, tell you how we use those modifiers. 24 is an unrelated ENM service provided within a global period of procedure. What does that mean? Well, let's say that the same guy who had that flap has 90 days global period now comes in and says, hey, doc, I have a rash on my back. So you looked at it, you diagnosed it, it's dermatitis, you treated it. So now you have an office visit to charge, but you cannot charge it because you're still within that 90-day global period. But if you put down modifier 24 next to your office visit, so that shows that you did something unrelated to that flap or the graph that you did 60 days ago, so you still can charge an office visit and that's not related to that procedure. So modifier 24, it's an unrelated 
office service that's provided within a global period of a procedure. Is that clear? Yes, no, maybe? Can I go forward? Okay. Patch testing. I do a lot of patch testing and you know, um, it's a pain in the neck to get paid because there are so many allergens. The single unit is 95044. Depending on how many you put on, you have to multiply it by that. The um, original code has um, 20, I forgot, is it 48 or 24? The, the original uh, patch testing thing, that's a simple one that comes in. Is it 48 or 24? 48? 28, okay. But I do the one that, I don't do that uh, standard one, I do the one, you know, um, North American context series, so I, I, I get it from overseas. And you know, you put like, let's say, 100, right? 100 units. Well, where you put that 100 in the form or in the computer, in the unit column, does not take more than two digits. They can only take two digits. So when I did that first time, 100 units, I got paid only for 10 because they recognize only the first two digits, one and zero. So what do I do next time? I put 50 and 50. I divide it into two lines and I put 95044 times 50, uh, 50 units. Well, my second line got denied as duplicate claim because it's exactly the same as the first line. So what do I do? I go back now, I rebuild it as the first line 99 units and the second line as one unit. So now you don't have exactly the same two lines, you have two separate lines and even if they deny my second line, who cares, it's only one unit, it's $5 I'm losing. But at least I get paid for the 99 units. So you have to be careful, it's a simple logistic thing but you get tortured with most of the time uh, these little things that you have to figure out and it takes you a while to figure out because it's a system error that they don't, that, that column that you can put your units, um, you have only two, two numbers, you can only put two numbers. Una paste boot, if you do that, the code is 20, uh, 29,580, you can use a modifier 50, modifier 50 shows that you have two bilateral symmetric areas, okay? So you can do, uh, you can do two eyelid biopsies, for example, uh, left and right, you can use 50 or you can use 59, it really doesn't matter. If you do injectables in your office, biologic injectables, right? Amaviv, you have to buy from the drug company and then you pay the insurance, I mean you charge the insurance company. So there is a code for that, for the drug. It's the J code 0215, that's the Amaviv code. And then you charge that per unit. Per unit is 0.5 milligram. The drug comes in 15 milligram, so that means 30 units. So you have to multiply your units by 30. So J0215 times 30. Um, the injection code, unfortunately, you get paid 10 bucks or something like that because it's 9637.2. It's basically a subcutaneous or intramuscular injection code. You don't get paid much. If you're doing, if you're infusion remicate, again, you buy the remicate from the company and you bill for it. 
Again, there's a J code for it, and J code for is 1745, and one unit is per 10 milligrams. So depending how many milligrams you are using, you have to multiply that number of the units. Every time you do use those drugs, you have to use the NDC number, National Drug Code. That NDC number goes at the box 24D on your HICFA form. If you don't put that NDC number, you are not going to get paid. Botox, if you're doing Botox for hyperhidrosis, again, you buy the drug and then you build the insurance company. That's another J code, 085, I'm sorry, 0585. Again, it comes in units. You usually use the Botox bottle as 100 units. When you do both axilla, that's 100 units. You're going to run into the same problem that I just said for the um, contact dermatitis. That unit column takes only two numbers or recognizes only two numbers. So you build that Botox as 100 units, you're going to get paid for only 10 units. So you have to do it in two lines, 99 in the first line and then another one unit at the second line. When you use the NDC numbers, you have to be very careful. Amaviv's number change. So the other thing is, let me just go back for this uh, Botox. Okay, so there's Botox for cosmetic, all right, if by mistake. It's exactly the same Botox bottle. One says Botox, the other says Botox cosmetic. When you buy it from Allergan, uh, they did it on purpose so that they have two different NDC numbers. If by mistake, you put the NDC number for the Botox cosmetic for hyperhidrosis treatment, you are not going to get paid because that's for Botox cosmetic. You have to put the Botox neurotoxin number, the NDC number, in that when you do a hyperhidrosis, okay? Even though it's exactly the same drug, they have two different NDC numbers. And Allergan did that on purpose so that they can separate the medical code from the cosmetic code if you put the cosmetic code, you are not going to get paid. You put the medical code, you get paid. Is that clear? <clears throat> laser for psoriasis. Who's got laser for psoriasis here? Wow. So only the Excimer laser 308 nanometer is approved by FDA for laser, I mean for psoriasis only. I know it works for vitiligo but it is not approved for vitiligo. So don't bill it for vitiligo, you're not gonna get paid. Or don't do it for vitiligo and bill it for psoriasis. That is a really, really big fraud. Uh, so if you're doing it for vitiligo, charge the patient. It is approved for psoriasis, and it's only this laser, by the way, Excimer laser is approved for psoriasis. If you're using any other laser, there are a lot of laser companies they say that, oh, this is a light device and blah, 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 and you can charge it laser. Don't. There is only one laser system. Excimer laser is approved for this. Now, it comes back again as you're treating with the square centimeter, and there are about three different codes, less than 250, between 250 and 500, and over 500. Now, how do you figure out the square centimeters? I guess you just have to eyeball it. But if you keep charging the over 500, the biggest code, 96922, and it pays pretty well, it pays a couple of hundred dollars, you're going to get questioned, and I'll tell you why. What's, gonna, what's the purpose of the laser? Is there any difference between the laser and the 
UVB light? Not really, it's the same wavelength you're using. The whole purpose of the laser is to avoid extensive light exposure uh, and you don't put the patient into the light box. That's why you do the laser because they have small areas. It's almost like doing Mohs surgery. You're saving tissue uh, for Mohs surgery so that you don't, uh, you don't disfigure the patient and all that good stuff. So in this case, it's almost the same idea. You are saving the patient from the side effects of the light box. You're not systemic, you know, you're not exposing the whole body to the light. That's the purpose of this laser. So if you keep doing more than 500 square centimeter, then they're gonna ask you, why don't you put them in the light box and get paid $25 or $30 for the light instead of $250 or $300 for the laser? So you can get away once or twice, but if Medicare come audits you, then they're gonna say, why didn't you put this patient in the light box? It costs 10 times less, and that's what the patient needs because he's covered head to toe with psoriasis. But if somebody has, you know, a couple of patches on the elbows and knees, a uh, couple of patches here and there, you certainly, you should not put them in the light box. If you have the laser, you should use the laser. It makes sense. But then you cannot go and build more than 500 square centimeter. Hyperhidrosis codes, I already discussed those. Um, before, there was a code that everybody used it for chemo denervation and insurance was paid two, $300. That's not for hyperhidrosis injections anymore. The new codes are, unfortunately, they pay only $40, $45 for 100 injections. So really, nobody wants to do hyperhidrosis injection anymore because you get paid nothing, almost $40. It's less than a biopsy, and you have that patient in there injecting 50 injections under each arm. So again, you have to be careful of those codes, and also they change the diagnosis code. So uh, 705.2.1 is basically the one that's a covered called focal primary hyperhidrosis. PDT, a lot of people are doing PDT now, and CPT code is 96567. The Levulan code is J7308. Again, you, build, you buy the Levulan from the company, and then you build the insurance company or the Medicare. You have to use the J code. You have to have the NDC number. It's not for acne. It's not for wrinkles. It's not for photo damage. It's only for a case. Only for a case. I don't care what you do it for. Charge the patient. Don't build the insurance company. A lot of people are finding an AK, one AK, and doing it for photo damage and billing the insurance company. But at one point, they're not going to buy it. Um, 702.0 a case and more than one AK, you really need it because, you know, they're gonna tell you why don't you freeze it for one AK or two AK. Oh, the other thing, let me just back up, is this code, again, it's only intended to use for level and charistic. A lot of people also, a lot of pharmacies, their mom and, sh mom and pop shops are mixing those drugs and then selling it much cheaper than the um, Levulan Kerastic. But that J code really was intended for Levulan Kerastic, not for those pharmacy 
mixtures, concoctions type of a deal. Because, and let me tell you the reason, the J code, the allowable, is paid according to what that level on characteristic cost when you buy it from the company. You know, Medicare is not stupid. They know what's the cost of it, and they, there's an APW, there's a cost, a drug cost, and you get paid about 115% of what you're paying, so you have about 15% margin there. But if you go and buy it from the mob and pump place where they are doing concoction and it costs only one-tenth of what you're paying to the drug company, then you're basically making 90% on, um, on your sale, then you're breaking the rules. Um, lasers for uh, hemangiomas. It's really a, it pays really well. The code is 17106 for less than 10 square centimeter, 1707, 10 to 50, 17108 over 50. Again, those are square centimeters. They are not from one end to the other. They are not in diameter. So they are square centimeter. You better figure that out, that square centimeter thing with the pi r square, okay? Now, they are intended to read the definition. It says, destruction of cutaneous vascular proliferative lesions. The intention is really for real hemangiomas for kids most of the time, and it's a very needed and important code because those kids really need this treatment, and it really needs to be covered by the insurance. However, there's a quite a bit of rampant, uh, rampant abuse of this code a lot of people are using this code for just cherry angiomas or telangiectasia destruction. So they are doing the laser for telangiectasia, for rosacea, or little cherry angiomas. And that's, again, really fraud and abuse because those are intended for proliferative lesions and they pay six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars, thousand bucks. So now you're doing that for one or two telangiectasia on the nose and you're getting 1,000 bucks. It's not that kosher. First of all, if you're doing for telangiectasia or cherry angioma, it's totally benign. You should be charging to the patient. Charge whatever the hell you want, but don't charge the insurance company, that type of thing. Because if this code is overused, at one point, anything that gets overused, it gets cut off. And that's a really needed code for poor kids who have this problem. And you know it's an expensive procedure. Insurance should cover for them appropriately. So again, it's not intended for telangiectasia. It's not intended for cherry angiomas. Yes? Do you use the same code for electrodesiccation? This is for laser. You can, now remember, you're thinking of telangiectasia. You cannot. Uh, you cannot really use an electrodesiccation for a hemangioma, right? You have a big hemangioma, electrodesiccation ain't gonna work on a kid. So you were thinking of, uh, you're thinking of what I just said, telangiectasia or hemangioma, you can use electrodesiccation for that. You're absolutely right. But this is not the code for that. There is, if you use the electrodesiccation, then it's a distraction of a benign lesion, really. But again, you should not be destroying a benign lesion uh, because it's benign. Charge the patient. Yes? Are you getting any coverage on Fort Weinstein? 
Yes, this code is appropriate for port wine stains, uh, hemangiomas. Most of the time, all those things that are really huge and ugly, usually on the kids. Yes. Anything else? Okay, now, National Correct Coding Initiative. What is that? So basically, um, what the government said, there are certain procedures that are being done together and being charged separately. That should not happen, and you should not charge them separately. They should be bundled together. So there are certain codes that you don't get paid together if you do them even separately. And I'll just give you an example. I went out of the uh, skin to just give you an example. So if you do endoscopy, okay, uh, diagnostic endoscopy, the code is 43235. You get paid for that separately. If you do a stomach biopsy, that's 43600, and that you get it separately. But if you do both the same day, you do both your GI endoscopy, and while you're down there, let me take a biopsy of the stomach. You cannot bill those two codes separately. You cannot bill 43600 and 43235 at the same time. So there is a more comprehensive code, and that's 43239, upper GI endoscopy with biopsy. But that code doesn't pay the addition of the sums of these two other codes, it pays just less than that. So you're basically losing money if you do those two things at the same time and separate, build them separately. The same thing with if you do a total abdominal colectomy and you do an exploratory laparotomy, you cannot build them separately anymore because they're assuming that if you did the colectomy, you're also already you're supposed to do your exploratory laparotomy. So you cannot build things separately. The best example for this, in the old days, most of the old timers, what they used to do is, they thought that the patient had a skin cancer. They did a biopsy, and then they were so sure that it was a skin cancer, the same day they curtage and desiccated, and they build it separately, and they did get paid separately, both for the biopsy and the curtage and desiccation. Nowadays, you cannot do that. If you do that, two at the same time, you just get paid for the more comprehensive code, which in this case is the curtage and desiccation. So I know in my days, all my attendings did that. They said, we are doing a service to the patient. The old man, he's driving an hour, so I'm 99% sure it's a skin cancer. I biopsied and I curtage and desiccated and bill for it and get paid for it. It was nice. You can't do that anymore. In order to avoid those things, there is a manual that comes out every three months, actually. You can subscribe. There's a um, government services in Virginia that you pay for it like every year, a couple of hundred dollars, and I only get the skin codes. I only get the codes that start with one, but, um, but you can get anything you want. And so what it shows is it tells you a code, and then next to it there's a column, two columns, that basically you cannot do those things uh, together at the same time. 
But on the other hand, there is a superscript. If your superscript is 1, then you can do it with modifier 59. If your superscript is 0, no matter what, no modifier is going to be valid. You cannot do it. So what happens here? What does this mean? They are telling you that you're not supposed to do 17263 with 1100 uh, because, as I said, you cannot biopsy a lesion and curtage and desiccate at the same time. But what if you already know one lesion is a skin cancer that you patient comes and you curtage and desiccate that day, you destroy that, but you also have another lesion that you don't know what it is, you're biopsying it. So you should get paid for those two separately because you're not doing the same lesion. Then you can do it because you have a superscript one there and you put a modifier 59, now you get paid. So that's the whole purpose of modifiers, things that you're not supposed to do, but you're doing it legally because that's the right way of doing it. That's the HICFA, uh, the HICFA 1500 form. And really, that's really the billing person's job to know that inside, outside. But I did tell you a couple of things. For example, there's a box there, 24D, where you put your na um, national drug codes, the NDC codes, like if you're buying and billing drugs, the J code drugs, or if you're doing more surgery, or if you're doing a KOH examination, you have to have a CLIA number. So whatever things that requires CLIA number, and if you don't put that on your HICFA form, Medicare is not going to pay for those. If you're reading your own path, you need a CLIA number. So if you don't put your CLIA number in that box, appropriate box, you're not going to get paid for it. If you're doing MOS, you're not going to get paid for it if you don't have your CLIA no number in your HICFA form. Again, those are really, really important. So I always say, Read your local Medicare carrier's uh, news bulletin. Read the national correct coding policy. Um, look at the fee schedules. Are you getting paid right or wrong? Because especially insurance companies, the privates are notorious for that. They tell you that they're going to pay you one thing and they don't. So every lunchtime, I open my own mail and I look at my EOBs, explanation of benefits. Most doctors don't do that. Um, you need to know what you're getting paid for, what you're doing. And the only way I found out that United only pays for four biopsies is when I open the, email, uh, the explanation of benefits and they tell you there. But if you don't look, you're not going to find it. Uh, get a new CPT book every year and the ICD-9 book. The rules are changing. Every year they change those things. You have to be squeaky, otherwise you don't get it. I mean, if you don't call the medical director, if you're not getting paid correctly, Call the medical director. Get your patients activated, meaning don't say that, oh, you know, I cannot do it. Tell them that, call your insurance company. It's your insurance. It's not my insurance. I'm not paying for it. You're paying for it. If you want something to happen, get them involved. Do your own coding. Do your own, uh, look at your EOBs. It really, really, really is important that you do your own coding. Now, we have some time still. Uh, we can do some examples, or I can answer questions, or I can answer questions as we do the examples. So let's say that somebody comes in, you have a, uh, you do a, go ahead. I'm sorry, um, you may have covered this, but what about infection in the post-op period on a shave or? I'm sorry, I missed it. Infection in the post-op period? 
infection post-op period. They come back five days after a shave or excision and it's questionable. I don't charge for it. You don't? Uh-uh. Um, okay, let's say that somebody comes back and they have a couple of biopsies. So you have left arm, right arm, and uh, also you have a left superior helix. So you need three biopsies, three suspicious lesions. How are you going to pay for it and how are you going to get paid? Let's do that. So left ear biopsy. So that's a 69100. That pays more than anything else. So you, need, you put that, and then you do have the 238.2, that's your ICD-9 code. And then for the rush on the arms, right, um, you do two biopsies on the arms for your rush. So the first biopsy is 11100. The second biopsy is an add-on, that's a regular screen biopsy, 11101. And you use modifier 59 for each one of those to show that they are separate areas. And then your ICD-9 code for the rash is 782.1, rash of unknown origin. So your bump on the ear or the lesion is uh, unknown uh, neoplasm. And then the rash is unknown rash, 782.1. How are you going to get paid for it? So your 69100 is the highest paying code that gets paid at 100%. So if the allowable is $100, you're going to get $100. For the second one, that gets paid at 50%. So if the allowable on that one was $70, you will get $35, because now this is your second procedure that's subject to multiple reduction rule, multiple surgery reduction rule. Are you with me so far? How about your third code? Third code normally would also be subject to multiple surgery reduction rules. But in this case, your third code is an add-on code, 11101. Remember, that's an inherently discounted code anyway. So if your allowable is $26 for that, you get the whole $26. That should not be discounted even more than that. Some insurance companies, especially United, is well known to do that. That should not be done. So your second code, I mean your third code here is an add-on code. That should not be discounted again. It's already inherently discounted. Any questions on that so far? What about the office visit? Well, I didn't, uh, if there was a, another diagnosis, you can use an office visit, but this one doesn't have it. I don't have it. But you certainly, let's say that Somebody has a seborrheic keratosis in addition to that, right? Benign seborrheic keratosis. You looked at it, you diagnosed it, you said leave it alone. Now you can charge an office visit, but you need a modifier 25, and then you put that diagnosis code for that office visit for uh, seborrheic keratosis. So you certainly can do it. Okay, patient comes with a suspicious lesion on the right lower eyelid, left lower lip, and tip of the nose. You go ahead and biopsy three of them. How are you going to do it? So eyelid biopsy, 678.10. Again, it's unknown neoplasm, 238.2, your diagnosis code. The lip biopsy is 40490. You do the, uh, the same diagnosis code. And 11100 is the biopsy for the nose. 
and they all get modifier 59 to show that they are all three different lesions, three different biopsies. How are you going to get paid for it? So your highest paying code is 67810 is going to get paid at 100%. Your second <coughs> highest paying code, 4049 of the lip biopsy, now it is subject to multiple surgery reduction rule, and that's going to get paid at 50%. Your third one is 1100, still going to get paid at 50% because that's subject to multiple surgery reduction rule. Now, what if you did one more biopsy and it was on the arm? What code would you use? Anybody? 111 or the one that at the bottom there that I said, now that's an add-on code. Is that subject to multiple surgery reduction rule? No. That you get paid 100% whatever the allowable is. Yes, ma'am? Then if you do it this way, would you be making more money if you didn't code the one on the lip on the lip since it's being, could you code that as a 11101 and not have it halved? But and you're gonna be lying. <laughs> so it, if it is on the lip, you need to code it on the lip. Yeah, that's okay. the whole point. If it's on the lip, you build it on the lip. You cannot change it. You cannot alter documentation. That's the worst thing. You're going to get paid more or less or whatever the deal is. Um, you cannot change it because that's basically telling you that you did one biopsy in one location and put it somewhere else. You just can't do it. Now, you have the option of not doing it at all and tell the patient, come back tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. But if you're doing it the same day, you just have to bite the bullet and... One thing I can say, if you can leave this room with one thing, please, 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 don't change facts, don't change documentation, don't change diagnosis, don't change location. All right, now you can do cosmetic dermatology. So, what if the patient comes with some suspicious areas on her labia, and you do two biopsies, left labia majora, right labia majora, also has a similar lesion on the anterior tongue, some whitish lesions. By the way, does anybody know the diagnosis here? What kind of, what disease would give you some whitish areas, both in the mouth Yay, bingo. <laughs> yep. So now you have to biopsy those things, and you, when you biopsy those, the tongue is 41100, that's anterior tongue, and then you have the um, uh, genital area. Again, those are all 38.2, 38.2. You could have probably do 78.212 because if it's a rash. So the first one is going to get paid at 100%. The second one, 56605, is going to get paid at 50%, okay? It's, uh, again, 50% multiple surgery reduction rule. But the third one here is an add-on code. 56606 is an add-on code. So we'll, it's already inherently discounted code, so it should get paid at 100%. It's exactly the same idea of one one. Or one. 
Okay, patient comes with a couple of actinic keratosis on his face. You go ahead and freeze them. And then the same patient comes back seven days later and he says he forgot to show you the big nodule on his back. You think it's a skin cancer, you biopsy it. How are you gonna build that? Skin biopsy, one, one, zero, zero, actually I'm missing there one. Uh, what modifier you need? You need a modifier 79 because that seven days is within the global period of the freezing the actinic keratosis. Remember the global period is 10 days. So if the patient comes back within that seven days, you do need that um, modifier 79. What if the same thing happens exact the opposite schedule? So basically the patient comes back and shows you the back nodule, you biopsy that. Then seven days later, he comes back and you freeze the AKs. Do you need a modifier 29, I mean 79? No, because you did the biopsy first and the biopsy has how many global periods? Zilch, zero. So remember, everything has 10 day global period except biopsy and most surgery has zero global period. Flaps and grafts has 90 global periods, 90 days. So that's really easy to remember. Biopsy, zero, everything else 10. Uh, flaps, grafts is 90. And most is also zero. But if you're not doing most, you don't have to remember it. Yes, ma'am. Um, we frequently will see a patient and they need freezing and a biopsy, so we'll freeze them that day since we've already evaluated them instead of like rescheduling for freezing, um, but then rescheduling for the biopsy, waiting the global period. Um, have you ever had any issues where you've had people back for a biopsy within that 10-day period and use the modifier? Have you ever had um, any issues with like getting reimbursed for that? With you the mean modifier? you do the biopsy within the global mm -hmm. period of freezing? And use the modifier. No. Uh-uh. If you use the they modifier, you're okay. Okay. One thing about, and most of the time, those things happen with Medicare, mostly elderly patients. And really, Medicare, most of the time, Medicare carriers are pretty good with modifiers. Sometimes the privates don't recognize, you know? You have to call and fight. But Medicare carriers are pretty good, in all honesty. They do recognize the modifiers. I mean, they sort of are in their system. How about the same patient comes back now 11 days later for an infected wound on one of the areas that you froze 11 days ago. Now you can charge them for an office visit even though it's related to the original work because it's after the global period. Somebody asked me about the infection earlier on and I said I don't charge it if it's within the global period. But if it's after the global period, you can charge it. Now you may get upset, I may upset the patient if they're gonna pay another copay, um, but you can charge it. If you don't wanna upset the patient, please don't do this. Do not not charge the patient the copay, but bill the insurance. Did I say that right? So do not bill the insurance without charging patient a copay, because you just wanna be nice to the patient. Either don't charge it at all, or if you're charging the insurance, do charge the 
patient. It's considered the biggest fraud if you do not charge the patient their co-pays. Unless you can extensively prove that they are in big financial need and they cannot pay you. Even if it's your own mother or father, you have to charge especially the Medicare co-pays. It is the biggest fraud now. Why? Because it's considered an inducement to the patient to come back and see you more, and as they come back and see you more, you do more things, and you build the insurance, and you make more money without charging the patient. It's confusing, but that's how it is. You know, in the old days, doctors didn't charge each other, and they charged the insurance. Now, you cannot do that. Yes, ma'am. If you, so I understand you're saying um, you have to charge the copay, but then uh, if there's portions that are uncovered by the insurance and you get that back, uh, can you choose not to charge the patient the balance of the bill? Absolutely. If the, if the, wait, you mean if you do something that insurance denies you, doesn't pay you, can you charge the patient? Is that the question? No, I'm saying my mom comes in and you're saying legally I have to charge her the Medicare copay, so I do, um, or my colleague sees her and, and he does, but then the insurance doesn't cover $120 worth of what we did and our office doesn't want to bill her for it. Why Is aren't there... they covering? It's an uncovered service? Is it a deductible? Is it a copay? For any reason, or you're saying if well, no, there is a difference. If it's a deductible, you cannot just write off the deductible. You have to ch deductibles and copays. See, here's the deal. Let me give you an example. So somebody comes in, they have hundred dollar deductible on their Medicare. Okay, so you do something, the office visit, whatever. It's fifty six dollars. The allowable is fifty six dollars. So in that EOB. Medicare shows that patient responsibility is $56. You have to charge that $56. Let's say you did something for one reason or another. It's an uncovered service. Medicare says, I am not paying this. Patient responsibility is zero because you should not have done this without telling the patient. It's an uncovered service. I am not paying it. You cannot bill the patient. It's a zero, a patient responsibility then at that point, you should not be charging to the patient anyway because on that EOB, patient responsibility is zero. So the bottom line is, if you look at that explanation of benefit and if it shows patient responsibility, $10, $5, whatever, you should be charging that. If patient responsibility is zero on the bottom line, then you should not be charging it anyway. So you're that, saying there's no situation where insurance only, um, you know, the idea of insurance only billing is legal? Insurance billing is legal? No, insurance only. Like if you, there is no situation where you could just insurance only bill um, no, and not No, insurance only bill is the worst thing you can do. And again, most of the providers don't know that and they just write to be nice to the patient. If you're going to do that, at least don't put it on paper. <laughs> Let it be between you and your secretary. And what most people do, they even send patients three bills 
and then they tell the patient, ignore it. So at least in, on the paper, you send the bill to the patient, you bill the patient, and patient didn't pay. Now at that point, there is nothing you can do. What are you gonna do? But do not write on that EOB, on that super bill, or don't put it in the computer, insurance only. That is the worst thing you can do to yourself. Hi, um, quick question about patch testing. Um, there's been a lot of debate at the office I've been in about whether you can charge copays for the two-day reading and delayed reading. If you could um, address that, yes. that'd be great because it's something you definitely want to tell the patients up front if you're going to charge them a copay, but I don't even know if you yes. really need to. So. You can charge, and I charge the office visits, and because you're doing a service and patch test has no global period. So the very first day, patient comes in, you put the patch test on, they come back for the reading, you can charge an office visit. Third day, it's more extensive actually. Third day, you're spending a lot of time to go over the, I mean, assuming that there are positives and explaining and the cross reactions. I mean, that's a really high level office visit. You're there for a long time, you're spending a lot of time and you're explaining all that stuff. So yes, you can charge an office visit. Yes, you should uh, build and charge the copays. We actually, when we do patch testing, we collect all that upfront. And we tell the patient upfront there is gonna be, because some patients, unfortunately, have high copays, $40, $50. So now you're looking at $150 copay for three days. But that's totally fine. Yes? So, um Say you're seeing somebody in your office, their family member, as just kind of a service to them as part of their benefits for the office. And do you just, is it okay to just not charge insurance or the patient? Yes. Okay. You are free to give free service. Okay. You, but don't charge at all. What most people do, just charge the insurance. As somebody said, insurance only. That's the worst thing. But you can say, hey, it's my mom, I'll see you for free. Or it's my friend, I'll see everything, I'll do everything for free. Nobody's gonna hold you for that. You're doing it for free. It's your option. As long as you don't charge the insurance. Okay, so let's take a look at this now. The, the same patient comes back with an eruption on his back nine days later after you did the, um, you did the cryosurgery. Now, so you have the patient, you did the cryosurgery, you froze the AKs, nine days later the patient comes and says, hey doc, I have a rush on my back. So you do your evaluation, you charge, and can you charge an office visit? The answer is yes, even though it's within nine days, that's within the 10 day global period, but now you need modifier 24 to show that that office visit is really not related to that original AK diagnosis. Is that clear? So there are only two modifiers that can go with and that should be appended to the office visit. 25 or 24. 25 is when you do an office visit plus a procedure. 24 is when you do an office visit that's not related to the original procedure within a global period. Remember I said the government really um, hired bounty hunters. This is called rock 
recovery audit contractors. This is the first time the government in the history of United States has hired contractors as really bounty hunters that they get paid 20% of what they recover. So that means one of those private contractors, they come and they audit you. And if they don't find anything, and they spend all that time and money, and they don't get, pay, they don't get paid. So guess what? No matter what, they're going to find something so that they get paid. This is just like a bounty hunters out in the Wild West 200 years ago. Until now, all the government contractors in the history of the United States have been paid for the work that they have done. Now they are on a commission, literally. They recover the money from the doctor, and they get 20% of what they recover. Just think about this concept. This has never, ever happened before in this country. And the first victims are the doctors, the medical field. There is only good, one good part about terrorism. Terrorism has been horrible. But terrorism has taken the attention from FB, for FBI from the providers to the terrorists. <laughs> until then, I am not kidding you. Until then, FBI had concentrated on the medical providers because we are the easy targets. We are so afraid, we don't fight, and we always pay back. So it's guaranteed money. They have attracted all their attention to medical field than the organized crime because organized crime fights, kills, and then don't pay, and then they put them in jail. It costs more money. But we are easy, easy targets. We're afraid. We pay. We pay taxes. And then if they pick us on us, we go, OK, how much more do you want? Leave me alone. So now, that's the only thank God for terrorism, that they have taken their attention away from us to them. But we're still number two. Organized crime is number three on the FBI's list. And this shows the best example of what's going on. So this program began in 2005 as a three-year pilot covering California, Florida, and New York. In 2007, it expanded to other states, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Arizona. In 2010, it extended to every 50 states. In 2005, Rocks found $1.03 billion in proper payments. One billion. 85% of those overpayments came from hospital. So you would say, eh, what's the big deal? We're not in the hospital, it's only 15%. 2% came only from the physicians. You know how much that amounts to? $20 million from that 2% is $20 million from the physicians. That's a lot of money that they collected from people like me and you. They have the right to come to a solo physician and say 10 medical records per 45 days that you worked. So if you build Medicare for 45 days, they can get 10 medical records. If you build Medicare for 90 days that year, they can get 20. So basically, um, 
per year, if you build Medicare 360 days, so that's about 40 medical records from a solo physician, solo. Two to five physician groups, 20 medical records per 45 days. Six to 15, 30. 16 or larger physician groups, 50 medical records per 45 days. If you get one of those letters, sometimes it will come to you personally as a provider to your name. You better not throw it away. You better get pull those charts, send them right away, because if you don't, then automatically you're guilty and you have to pay the 25% of that. That's basically it. That's the end of my spiel, but this is what it has come to. So that's why everything that we put down in that chart, we write down in that chart, when I was telling you about cryotherapy, cryosurgery, a simple, simple mistake. I mean, not, it's not gonna harm anybody, but this is why they want that money back so that they themselves get their 20%. It's like a commission. That's, they're working for commission. They have to find something wrong. If they don't, they're not gonna get paid. And then you can fight forever and get that money back because you're right, but guess what? You already are gonna have so much headaches. So it's better to be uh, clear from the beginning. Any questions? No questions? Well, enjoy the weekend. Oh, you have a question, okay. Sure. This is where you, you treat a wart and an actinic keratosis in the same visit. Say it again. You're treating a wart yes. and an actinic keratosis yes. in the same visit. No problem. What do you, how do you bill it? You bill both? Yeah, you bill for both. As I said, for actinic keratosis, the cryosurgery or destruction, you, your codes are 17,000 or 17,003. And for wart is, a, is considered a benign, destruction of benign lesion, depending on how many you did. The code is 17110 or 17111 and you use a modifier 59. So you can do both, no problems. Yes, ma'am. Just going back, I had one other scenario with skin tags. Say you have a patient that has five symptomatic skin tags, but they're also worried about them and they want you to send them. Um, would, would you, and say you say, okay, well, we'll just send them in one bottle, which I know isn't the best way to do it. Um, could you bill for the, the removal of the skin tags and the biopsy, or would you have to choose one or the other? You have to choose one or the other, okay. but in this case, it will be more appropriate to choose the biopsy, and I will not put them in one bottle. I will put, put five separate. separate bottles and charge them as five separate biopsies. Biopsies, okay. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. had a question about, um, you, I mean, you touched on office visits for a little bit, but in dermatology, we're not doing extensive histories or anything. At what point do you go from a 99202 to 99203 as far as the patient office visit? Is it your time that you're spending in there or what you're asking them? You're talking about the level of the ENM office visits? Mm -hmm. That's a whole different lecture. <laughs> if I answer you for that one, in all honesty, I'll be here for another two hours because there are all separate rules for that. I do have a lecture on that, but it's Really, it's not a question I can answer in two minutes. Sorry. Yes? For hyperhidrosis, can you bill for time? Can you bill what? For time. Because no. Well, the time goes only for an office visit. That's sort of a related answer to her question. But you're not doing office visit. You're doing a procedure. So there's a procedure code. So you cannot really, I guess, 
You can, in the beginning, as a consultant, you know, as an office visit, but the procedure is a procedure. When you do the procedure, you have no choice but build the procedure code, unfortunately. Yes, ma'am. I noticed that in your examples, you have modifiers on every procedure. I noticed that in your examples, you have modifiers on every procedure you do. In my office, we typically leave the one that we think is the highest charge without a yeah. modifier, is that incorrect? Or? The, the one that highest charge gets the 59, but on the other end, how am I going to know which one is the highest charge? Every insurance company pays differently, so I'd rather be safe and sorry than we put all the, we put 59 to all the, pro if I do more than one procedure, I put 59 throughout. If they don't want it, let them throw it away. But I put that 59 on every, and most of the time, Medicare actually lines it up for you anyway themselves. Okay. But how am I going to know which one pays which and how much? Right. So okay. that's why I do that. Thank you. Yes. In Massachusetts, one of our carriers recently decided if you do a full office visit, do a level three full skin check, document multiple different diagnoses, and you do a biopsy. They won't pay. They will now reimburse you for 50% of that office visit as opposed to a full office visit. Are people seeing that with other carriers or, as well, or is that the way I it's have, going to be going, you think? I have not seen that, but I will not be surprised. They might do it. Then guess what? Don't do the biopsy. Bring them back. At one point, Anthem did that, didn't pay for the office visit, even if you put modifier 25 in Kentucky. And I did not do a single procedure. I gave the phone number of the medical directors of Anthem, and I told my patients, call them. Call them, call them, call them, and in three months they changed it because I was a pain in the neck. But it does work. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Hi, yes, how do you, um, how do you deal with up billings from your billing office? Like say, I bill one thing, and then I find out my bill has changed. Who changed it? The billing department. Well, you have to deal with them. My billing department is me, myself, and I. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, uh, I'm a small office. I, it's, it's only me. So uh, what I bill is what I bill. They don't change anything without asking me anyway. And then in that I don't case, think, um, what, let me just back up for sure. one second. It's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Remember what I said in the beginning? You're responsible. If something goes wrong, you're the one who's going to jail. You're the one who's getting paid. Or you're the one who's not getting paid. So I don't think any billing person should change anything until they ask the provider. Because again, it's your signature, it's your name, you're responsible for it. It's not a good policy. At least they should come and ask you and you should be aware of what's being changed. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Okay, uh, with regards to the destruction of the benign lesions, yeah. irritated skin tags, because you said skin tags are not included in that. If you want to treat those with liquid nitrogen, how do you bill for that? Irritated or skin tags? You just build them. As destruction of benign? Yes, as a destruction of benign lesion. Okay. Once, it's just like a wart or anything else, 17100. Okay, I thought that said with exception to skin tags. No. Okay. All right. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I lost it. I thought you were asking for irritated seborrheic keratin. Skin tags, there is a code, 11200 up to 15, and then another one up to uh, more than 15. Okay. I did not show that code, okay, thank you. but there is a code for that. Okay. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Um, I just have a, how, how do you bill for a biopsy when you CND? 
I'm not, I mean, because what the we The same do day? We, biopsy and, yeah, you know, you're removing a basal and you just CND. You're it's not supposed to do it. You can't bill it, and I don't And do we it. don't bill it. We, we just bill the biopsy, and is that okay. what we're supposed to be doing? But and I we don't, just note that we see indeed, and that way it gives the patient the option of... Yeah, but I don't see, I don't do that. Why are, I mean, it doesn't make sense, because why are you CNDing it? You don't even know what you're CNDing it. Because my supervising physician does it. And Old-timers. So what, what she does is she does a CND, especially on an older patient if they want that. So that way they've had at least one you know, treatment with, with, of course, a higher chance of recurrence. But then when the biopsy comes back, then she can give the patient the choice of, you know, we can watch it or we can send you to Mohs or we can send you to General or, you know. Yeah. But, I don't and do we that. don't bill the CND, but it's just how she yeah. operates. Yeah. I, I don't do that. I basically biopsy, build the biopsy, bring the patient back in two weeks, give them the report, and then take care of it from there. But as I said earlier on, I know all my attendings did the same thing. Uh, but I guess you can do it. That's fine. But you cannot bill for it, so you just build a biopsy. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, what you can do is, if the biopsy comes back as a basal cell, and if you hold that biopsy, if you hold that your biopsy, then you can go and build the, as a CND without billing the biopsy. But you cannot do both. Okay. Any other questions? Thank you. Have a nice Sunday, whatever is left. <laughs>